had to step away for for a moment to get me a uh, delicious bottle of Devil's Backbone Belgian style triple. 8.1% alcohol by volume by Real L Brewing Company in Blanco, Texas. There you go. There's your ad read. Send me a check, Real L Brewing Company, and some beer for plugging your product on my podcast. Oh my God. I have a crippling alcohol addiction to support. All right, let's put that down and move on to number three number three on the list oh my god we finally fucking made it to number three. Oh my god okay i mean there's a lot of movies okay what did you expect this wasn't going to be a one hour nice tight neat podcast my fucking voice is starting to burn out all right Hold on, let me just coat it with some delicious uh, beer real quick. Mmm, devil's backbone. All right, let's go to number three. Number three is the year of 1999. 1999 Eternal. We're going to party like it's 1999. 1999 gave us... And this isn't a, uh, this is another example of not the longest list, but it's a very high quality list. A high quality list with a lot of rewatchability. Okay. So let's run it down. 1999, we had the following movies Eyes Wide Shut, The Blair Witch Project, Fight Club. Audition, Magnolia, The Green Mile, Boondock Saints, Matrix, 8mm, Office Space, The Straight Story, Being John Malkovich, The Sixth Sense, Wishmaster 2, yes, Wishmaster 2 is on this list, South Park the Movie, uh, American Movie, Freeway 2, Cruel Intentions, Galaxy Quest, Payback, Ghost Dog, and The Insider. Holy shit. Okay, let's start with Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I went to go see Eyes Wide Shut in theaters. I was very, very excited about this. Um, by that point, I was a very big Stanley Kubrick fan. Man... I went to see Eyes Wide Shut in theaters. The weirdest thing happened. I seen. I went to go in th- to see Eyes Wide Shut in theaters, and something very strange happened. I got about I don't know, maybe halfway through the movie, and I became very like nauseous all of a sudden, like like air sick or like seasick or something, and I just couldn't fucking sit there any longer and like. It's not like the movie was making me ill or something, but I just felt really strange and I had to leave. And I don't know. 
Adam, are you suggesting that there was some sort of subliminal shit put in the movie to make people feel nauseous? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is sometimes things are put in movies to make people feel physically ill. Did Stanley Kubrick do that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Illuminati put those uh, subliminal messages in the movie to make me nauseous to leave because they knew that Stanley Kubrick was exposing their fuck parties and the fact that he got paid to cover up the uh, fake moon landing. Okay? Maybe that's what happened. Maybe not. Anyways, a second time... Um, at this time, I, Eyes Wide Shut was now on on home video, and I saw Eyes Wide Shut. I believe I rented it from this. By this, by that point, I was living. Um, where was I living? I think by that point, I was living in San Francisco. I was living in North Beach, and I was living on Stockton Street back when they were just giving away apartments. Like anyone who's lived in. San Francisco knows that you don't just move into North Beach. Like, you have to wait for someone to fucking die. And then, you know, somebody comes and takes their body out of the fucking the dwelling that they inhabited. You know, like, getting an apartment was rare, especially back in those days. So, also, I was completely oblivious to the fact that there was, like, a fucking, you know, dot-com bubble bursting and an entire economy just crashed. And, you know, I just strolled into town uh, straight out of high school with no money, no credit, a part-time job at a fucking restaurant. And I was able to get a one-bedroom apartment over the park, like, essentially on a handshake agreement. The people who rented me the place, who were nice people, like, just trusted me for whatever reason. They just needed somebody to fucking move into the apartment. So, but there was a video store. Excuse me. There was a video store um, on Washington Square Park. And it was fucking amazing. And they had Eyes Wide Shut there. And by the, by, I mean, this is, you know, Eyes Wide Shut was 99. So this was 2001. I think this was 2001. I rented it, watched it again at my apartment with my girlfriend at the time. And again, something weird happened. I got super, like I was watching it and something happened where I got really ill. Like I started feeling like fucking, like I was going to fucking puke or something. It was weird. I mean, I was also drinking a lot at the time, so I could have just been, you know, having some sort of ulcer or something. I don't know. But um, but by the third time, by the third time I saw it, I'm, uh, I got all the way through it, you know, so. But I love Eyes Wide Shut. It's fucking great. It's creepy as fuck. I get, oh, I, I've probably brought this dude up before. There, okay, real quick. There's a guy named Rob Ager. Rob, last name Ager, A-G-E-R. And he has a website called Collative Learning collativelearning.com he also has a youtube channel uh collative learning and he has a channel called rob ager and he does like like psychological analyses of uh, of films and he does a bunch he's like british dude and he does a shitload of fucking uh, stanley kubrick ones and he does ones for eyes wide shut and he really goes deep into like the meaning of these movies and stuff and 
Um, I think I've mentioned him to b- before on the podcast. I think maybe, maybe not. Um, but um, if you ever seen that documentary Room Two Three Seven, which is a documentary about what is the meaning of the movie The Shining, there's all these secret meanings, and then they have all these people in the documentary that explain what the The Shining was really about, and most of the people are just kooks. And they're not even there for the movie. Like they, they basically are on like Zoom calls. Um, that movie is really kind of fucking slapped together. Actually, that that movie got way, way too much hype than it deserved. But Rob Eger from, from okay, from what I understand, Robert Eger was asked to be in Room Two Three Seven, and he declined, not to be a fucking asshole, but he was basically like. You know, I've already been covering this subject for like a long time and I already have my own website and my YouTube videos and that's kind of my source of income and I'm just not interested in being in a fucking documentary with other people who may have fucking crackpot ideas. You know, and he's one of those crazy dudes that lives in the UK who goes out to like the Stanley Kubrick archives and like goes through, like he gets permission to go through like Stanley Kubrick's like Stanley Kubrick had this, um, he had like this warehouse behind his house where he kept everything from every movie he ever made, like fucking just films and documents and scripts and all this shit. And uh, Rob Ager was like somehow got access to it to go in there and just kind of look through things and for the purposes of research for his his website. But um, yeah, and but he he has videos on. The Shining, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, and Eyes Wide Shut. Really interesting dude. Like, look him up. But anyways, uh, yeah, Eyes Wide Shut, good movie. Very, um, watch it during Christmas time. Okay? Like, people who are, uh, people who like to have themed, like, horror movie nights. Like, you know, it's, it's Halloween time, so there's, like, Halloween-based horror movies like Halloween and trick or treat and trick or treat and, and you know, so on and so forth. But like, there's a bunch of Christmas horror movies. There's like silent night, deadly night. There's uh, Christmas evil also known as you better watch out. And, but like people need to shuffle in eyes wide shut because it's a spooky fucking movie and it takes place during Christmas time. Also die hard is not a Christmas movie. Everyone needs to stop with that. It just happens to take place during Christmas, but it's not a Christmas movie. Eyes Wide Shut is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. So all these fools who think fucking... I've already debunked this on my fucking Instagram like a couple years ago. Like Bruce Willis went on Twitter like years ago and said uh, fucking Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Okay, that comes from the gatekeeper himself. Right? He's confirmed what I've known forever. But anyways, Eyes Wide Shut's wonderful. If you have not got into Stanley Kubrick movies in your like ever, Eyes Wide Shut is great. Full Metal Jacket is wonderful. Um, everything else might be a little too, I don't know, whatever. Like 2001 might be too odd and long and hard for people to decipher, but... Uh, and a clockwork orange might be too violent for people or whatever, but you know, you want to see a movie with like recognizable people. I mean, the movie was made kind of a while ago, but 
you know, you got Nicole Kidman, you got Tom Cruise, and you got a it's fucking good. Just watch it. 1999 also brought us the original Blair Witch Project. And I think people kind of fall into two categories. Like people who think Blair Witch Project is a really interesting, uh, like, uh, like people who are really into found footage type movies, especially uh, horror movies. Found footage horror movies is, a, is, I mean, it's a pretty big genre at this point. There's a lot of found footage horror films at this point, And the Blood of Rick's Project was like one of the major ones, you know, besides like Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> but, or uh, VHS, I don't know. I've seen the first VHS movie and I, from what I understand, it's a uh, found footage, like, um, series of movies and one came out recently called VHS 94, I believe. And it takes place in the nineties and I haven't seen it. I haven't seen all the sequels, but point being like Blair Witch Project was a giant, very profitable fucking movie. And there's people who love it and people who just thinks it's stupid (laughs) and lame and nothing fucking happens. And, uh, people or, uh, people, vomit in the fucking theaters because the camera shakes too much. And, um, I'm one of the people who actually enjoy the Blair witch project and it's kind of quaint. Um, it's kind of a quaint movie at this point because like nothing happens until the end, basically like not much happens. And then like the end, um, like shit doesn't happen till the end and then it's over, you know? And I, I kind of like the Blair witch project for what it is. Um, it's not really one of those movies that I think has like a great deal of rewatchability, but you know, I probably watched it maybe three times my whole life, but anyone just getting into horror at some point, they're going to have to watch the Blair Witch Project at some point. Let's see. Ooh, a a movie that does have pretty good rewatchability, uh, fight club and, Fucking David Fincher's Fight Club. Uh, star-studded cast. You have um, uh, Meatloaf is in that movie. And uh, Jared Leto. And uh, that one actress that played the Red Queen in Tim Burton's um, Alice in Wonderland. And nobody else of, of note was in that movie. Everyone likes Fight Club. That was one of those movies that, like, people had, like, my ex-girlfriend in fucking high school, her brother had a Fight Club poster in his room. It was one of those type of movies where people had posters of it. Mm. I don't know. Uh, Fight Club's one of those movies that I like and dislike at the same time. Because it's it's kind of, like, it's it's very stylish, but in, if, like, if you really think about it, like, that movie's kind of corny. And I think that's with uh, hindsight. Because after that movie came out, people actually started their own fight clubs. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure you can find some old news footage or like some, uh, a current affair or hard copy or one of those like f- fucking like uh, pre-TMZ shows that were like, people are starting their own fight clubs and Oh my God. 
footage of it is leaked onto the World Wide Web. But you, uh, oh God, yeah, people starting their own fight clubs, adorable. Before we knew about, you know, concussive brain injuries. Anyways, I like Fight Club. Also, uh, Audition. Another movie like the uh, Blair Witch Project where nothing really happens until the end. And Audition's a slow burn. It's a it's a very slow burn. And everyone's like, I mean, Takashi Miki's fucking pretty amazing director. Like, that motherfucker has directed over 100 movies. Like, that's insane to me. And of various levels of quality. But even his bad movies have really interesting shit in it. Like, uh, Dead or Alive. Like, a movie like that, I don't think a lot of people can really watch and enjoy. Because it's so frenetic and, like, it's so, uh, like, schizophrenic or, you know, I can't think of the word, but it's... It's so jittery. But then you have something like Ichi the Killer, which I think is a little more... <laughs> uh, there's, I think, uh, well, digestible. It's, there's more of a story to it. And um, I don't know. I think it's a little bit more visually soothing, stimulating, something like that. I, I don't know. You had, uh, also, there was... a. Uh, what else did Takashi Miki made? He did a Gozu, which is for, which is very odd, uh, very odd movie. But I mean, I think um, I think Gozu now is really getting like people are finding out about it again because I saw it was basically after I found out about Audition, I came across. After I found out about Audition, I found, I watched, actually I watched Gozu first, but I didn't really know Takashi Miike, actually no, hold on a second. No, I first found out about Audition, but then I saw that this movie Gozu was made by the director of Audition, so I just bought Gozu just based on the box. Like I read it and I was like, this sounds fucking weird, and I just bought it, and Boy, howdy, am I glad I did. Like, Gozu is so fucking strange, and it has this weird, like, Yakuza angle to it, but it has this weird fantasy world fucking fucked upness to it. And I think, you know, Gozu, I think, is a little more, I don't know, it kind of leans more towards, like, a, like freaky forest <laughs> than, um, than Ichi the Killer. I think Ichi the Killer is a little, a little more straightforward than gozu yeah um audition i think at some point when uh if you if you watch enough horror movies eventually you'll get to japanese horror and you'll just have to watch audition another slow burn movie but it's like that ending man like really i mean i don't know how people will see that ending now or react to it now, but at the time, and for like a long time after it came out, like fucking the end of audition was, that was the shit, you know, that was the thing of legends. And I could have, 
I don't know if I'm tripping, but um, the main actress in Audition, is she in fucking Squid Game? Or am I just fucking making shit up? I don't know. I'll look that up some other time. But I, I feel like the actress from Audition is in Squid Game. I could be totally wrong. Anyways, another movie I re- absolutely watched a million times. Uh, Magnolia. Holy fuck. I watched the shit out of Magnolia. It's hilarious. Um, it is sad. It's got a bunch of shit going on there. Like, too many fucking actors to fucking count. You have Julianne Moore and you have John C. Riley and Tom Cruise and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace. And uh, it's one of those movies where there's a lot of different stories that are all kind of interconnected and they all kind of come together at the end in sort of a Tarantino esque way. But um, um, I don't know, there's sort of this. Uh, like like Tarantino films, everything is sort of like you have all these different people with different stories going on. They sort of kind of like meet up at some point and they're sort of like this relaxed connective tissue there. But with Magnolia, it's like everything kind of just builds up into this like, like everyone is, everything just gets really crazy and then everything, everything just kind of collides at the end. And I fucking love Magnolia. If you want to, if you're like, if you're, uh, what is it? If you're on Tinder or what other kind of dating site people are, what are, what are else are people on? Um, Scruff, <laughs> Grinder, uh, Christian Mingle. Match.com, you know, if you want to, if you want to have a date with somebody who's just like, let's just hang out and watch a movie, watch Magnolia, especially if they like movies, if they're like, if you have a date with somebody who's like really, really stoked about, I don't know, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> talk, to, first of all, talk them out of it, be like, no, let's not watch that let's watch a movie from 22 years ago let's watch magnolia and then you can kind of like just browbeat them into it you can be like look it has eight out of ten on imdb it has 83 percent on rotten tomatoes and whatever movie you're trying to watch is you know probably garbage you know you do you want to take a chance on some new movie that's just like statistically gonna suck or do you want to go for a sure thing okay that's what you do that that'll that'll ensure that you're having unprotected premarital sex on your couch okay that's a successful date consensual beautiful lovemaking on date number one that's the goal or maybe that's not your goal i don't know paul thomas anderson Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who has uh, Licorice Pizza coming out soon. And I'm looking forward to that. That also looks like a very good movie. Looks like it's rich in story. Let me see. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Another uh, Stephen King adaptation. The Green Mile. 
Yeah. Green Mile, it's about, uh, whatchamacallit, fucking uh, Curly from Of Mice and Men wants to fucking execute, uh, uh, what's his face? Michael Clark Duncan. Didn't he die too? Am I making that up? Did Michael Clark Duncan die? If he said, if he did, I'm just going to say right now, uh, uh, rest in peace, uh, Michael Clark Duncan. I liked Michael Clark Duncan. He had a very soothing voice. He had a very good physical presence. But anyways, yeah, uh, the Green Mile. Tom Hanks. Uh, movie's kind of corny, actually. <laughs> but um, I... I liked I liked uh, the Green Mile. The Green Mile's it's good. It's it's one of the uh, it's one of the better Stephen King adaptations. I think people forget is like a Stephen King fucking story. Also, since it's still Halloween season, uh, director of the Green Mile, uh, Frank Darabont, he did a wonderful film called The Mist. The Mist, not to be confused with The Fog. The Mist, starring uh, the guy who was the Punisher. Um, what's his name? Not James Jude Courtney. I'm, I'm confusing a bunch of people. Anyways, yeah, The Mist. It's it's you can see it in, you can see it in color, and they also have a black and white version. It's about a bunch of people get stuck in a grocery store because there's a monster outside hiding in the mist picking people off if they try to escape and uh, everyone in the store starts turning on each other. And so that's fun. Ooh, boondock Saints. Um, boondock Saints. It's about a, a bunch of Irish guys who uh, fucking uh, kill a bunch of uh, mafia guys and some people get their fingers chopped off and Ron Jeremy's in it and um, I'll just have a Coke then. And other than that, I don't remember much about Boondock Saints. I remember, I remember uh, like Boondock Saints kind of felt like face off. Like it felt like a, like a John Woo movie. I know John Woo didn't do it, but like the way I remember Boondock Saints is it felt like a John Woo movie. Like it just felt Kind of over dramatic and whatever, but I remember liking the dialogue, and I know Billy Connolly was in it, and I, Billy Connolly was El Duce. He was like some fucking Hannibal Hannibal Lecter super killer guy who was in like incarcerated, and the mafia got him out of prison to go after the the two brothers. And then it turned out to be their dad. Billy Connolly, by the way, is a hilarious Scottish uh, stand-up comedian. I saw him uh, perform in San Francisco, and he was fucking amazing. It was great. Um, other than that, who else was in that fucking Willem Dafoe? Another guy that's in fucking everything. He was in fucking American Psycho and... He played Jesus in, pa in Passion of the Christ. <laughs> in Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, yeah, I like Boondog Saints. You know, it's 
it's action packed. It's actually kind of funny and um yeah. There's a couple of moments that are like uh, I don't know, have me roll in my eyes, but you know. For a movie that violent, I'm glad it's at least trying to be funny. So a movie that's not very funny. Actually, it is kind of funny. The Matrix. Matrix came out in 1999. And the new Matrix movie, Matrix Revelations, is that what it is? Or Revolutions or Resurrection? That's coming out soon. The trailer, I have to say, I saw the trailer for the fourth Matrix movie, and I'm actually kind of concerned uh, hmm. I, I mean, I was living, I was living in San Francisco when they were filming that movie and it was like a whole thing, you know, whole streets would be shut down. People were like, Oh dude, they're fucking, you know, filming the matrix right now. It's super exciting. And I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it because I like the matrix movies and the animatrix. If you haven't, if you haven't seen the animatrix, I think it's, that's another thing where I'm just like, why Why wasn't there more Animatrix movies or a Netflix show? Um, yeah. Like, what was it? Uh, Netflix did a Ultraman TV show. And if you don't know, Ultraman was basically like, mm, like a Iron Man meets Power Rangers, except it's one guy instead of a group of superhero fighters. Um, and Ultraman basically fought kaiju monsters in Japan. That's, you know, and he's been around for since the 60s in various forms. But yeah, he's basically a superhero. And um, there was an Ultraman cartoon that came out on Netflix. But uh, Ultraman's always been like a live action thing. You know, it looks like Power Rangers. It's like some dude in a costume fighting monsters. But uh, the Netflix one that came out a few years ago was. Um, was animated and it was pretty good. It kind of had a uh, a scanner darkly kind of animation to it, like not quite a scanner darkly, but it, it felt like that a little bit to me. Um, if they, I mean, if there was another animatrix, if they did an animatrix show with like the people who did the animation for the Ultraman Netflix series, that can be really good. The the, the animatrix was basically a uh, anthology. Um, series set inside of the world of the matrix from different stories from different people's point of view. I mean, it was pretty cool. It was, it was after kind of like the matrix was already like a big deal and shit, but yeah, the matrix 1999 fucking love the matrix. The new movie though. I mean, as soon as I saw fucking what's his face, fucking Doogie Hauser, fucking Lemony Snicket's face. What's that motherfucker's name? I know he was in the first uh, Harold and Kumar movie. I don't remember his name, but I can't stand that motherfucker. Some people, you just see their face and you're just like, nope, I just can't do it. <laughs> like, that, like that fucking, uh, yeah, Doogie Hauser was in fucking The Matrix. He plays fucking Neo's psychologist, and I'm just like... Man, I don't know if I want to watch this movie. <laughs> I don't want to see Neo go into the fucking his therapy sessions and getting coffee and I don't know. 
I'm going to see it anyways, but the, I mean, maybe the trailer is like total bait and switch. Eight millimeter. Oh my. Yes. I, ta- I think I briefly brought up uh eight millimeter on the first episode of this show. Uh, it, the first episode was entitled, uh, uh, documenting death or how I rescued your next movie night through horror. And I talked about, um, well, I, I touched briefly on uh, the existence of snuff films and violent videos on the internet, violent movies and mo- movies where it depicts people uh, videotaping or somehow recording uh, acts of uh, violence or murder and uh, documentaries as well. So that's a good episode. And there's a ton of information in that uh, that episode. So if you're looking for a bunch of new shit to watch that you probably haven't watched, go look at the first episode of this uh, Skeleton Factory podcast. Yeah, it's the first episode uh, from, yeah, episode one. It's called Documenting Death. Eight millimeter, Nicolas Cage, again, Nicolas Cage, prominently displayed in the 90s. Um, Holy shit. I just had a thought. If Nicolas Cage was in the Matrix, that would be amazing. It would be insanely amazing. If if Nicolas Cage from the movie Mandy was in the new Matrix movie, that would make me extremely happy. But he's not. And that's okay. That's okay. Nicolas Cage is doing fine. But yeah, 8mm, Nicolas Cage is a private investigator, and he gets uh, hired by an elderly, uh, wealthy woman who is a recent widow, and her elderly, also elderly uh, husband, who was extremely wealthy, um, when he died inside of his uh, private safe in his office that had to be, she had to hire professional safe crackers to open up the safe that was in his office. And when they opened it, they found a eight millimeter film reel uh, that contained the murder of a young girl. And well, she was a teenage girl and um, she tasked, Nicholas Cage to find out the identity of this girl and if in fact that the film was uh, showed an actual murder or not. So a uh, Nicholas Cage goes down this dark path to try to figure out who this girl is and what happened to her and he has nothing to go by. He has nothing to go on except for um this film. So he has to really tear this film apart like and it's very disturbing because it you know shows a, a it's a it's a a film of a girl being killed with a knife on 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 film you know so her so this wealthy woman's husband um was in possession of uh, of a snuff film and she wanted to get to the bottom of like who made it like who was the girl all that sort of thing and nicolas cage goes down this very dark path to find the answers to all these questions and Eight millimeters, great. You got Joaquin Phoenix and James Gandolfini's in it. Carl Hungus from The Big Lebowski's in it. I don't know that actor's real name. I'm just gonna call him Carl Hungus. 
and he's going to cut off your Johnson. Um, all right, next movie, Office Space. Good old Mike Judge from right here in Texas. Uh, Office Space. Office Space is hilarious. It's um, It came out at a time where if you worked in an office, you sort of related to it. And I believe this is a... I don't know. Is this pre the office, the Ricky Gervais, the office? I don't know. Maybe it is. I could look it up, but I don't feel like it. Um, but office space is hilarious. It's a fun movie. It's in so far in this list of movies, it's a good comedy to kind of break up. Like his when Blair Witch Project, Eyes Wide Shut, eight millimeter audition, Fucking the Green Mile, you know. You need a, there's a lot of death and misery and pain in all those movies, and it's like Office Space, beautiful, breaks it up nicely, a nice comedy to kind of relax too. <clears throat> but of course, Office Space is the shit. I'm gonna move on to the Straight Story, a uh, David Lynch film that. Uh, when I saw the straight story, I didn't think it was a David. I didn't I had no idea it was a David Lynch film. Now, going on memory, since I've only seen the straight story once, I believe it's about an old farmer who has to travel. He, uh, he had, like his brother died, and he had to go like claim his brother's body or because he didn't have any other family. Cause he's like an old farmer and his brother's old. So, uh, he needs to get to where his, um, deceased brother is. So the only, and I guess he doesn't have a vehicle. So he, he takes a tractor, which is slow as fuck. And he needs to, um, he needs to travel to, get to his brother and it kind of follows him along this story. Um, I'm actually good. I'm going to look up a description of the straight story. Cause it, it needs a, I think it deserves a, a decent description and not my foggy fucking memory. Here we go. This description is from, uh, what is this from? Let's, let's, let's do IMDb. Why not? One description is as good as another, isn't it? An old man makes a long journey by lawnmower. Okay, I remember it as a tractor, but I guess it's a lawnmower. To mend his relationship with his ill brother. Oh, okay. So I remembered it completely wrong. The brother's not dead yet. Let's see. Let me read this description. A retired farmer and widower in his 70s, Alvin Strait, learns one day that his distant brother Lyle has suffered a stroke and may not recover. Alvin is determined to make things right with Lyle while he still can. But his brother lives in Wisconsin while Alvin is stuck in Iowa with no car and no driver's license. Then he hits on an idea of making the trip on his old lawnmower thus beginning a picturesque and at times deeply spiritual odyssey. Mm. Now, that may sound really boring to you, but trust me, the straight story is a very 
sweet, heartfelt movie, especially, you know, if you still have some, like, old people in your family that are still alive that are maybe widowed or maybe your parents are really old or grandparents, whatever, like... We look at old people as just old people, but they're people that they're just, they're, they're like you, except all the problems that you have in life and all the shit that your whole history and all the shit that you went through, like, you know, they've gone through decades more life than you have, you know, and it's interesting to see that stories like that. I mean, that's kind of what all Clint Eastwood movies are nowadays. Uh, like from, you know, Million Dollar Baby on. You know, it's like Clint Eastwood inserts himself into these stories where it's... it's The story has its own thing, but it also has like, here's this old guy who's dealing with old guy shit. And The Straight Story is a really good version of that. And it is a... It's a good movie. Like, Harry Dean Stanton, rest in peace, Harry Dean fucking Stanton, for all you fans of Wild at Heart and fucking Repo Man. There you go. There's a fucking double feature movie night for you and your fucking, uh, your fucking friends. Your fucking asshole friends. No. <laughs> you watch Repo Man and what was the other one I said? Wild at Heart. Those are two really fun, good movies. They're both on kind of different wavelengths, but they're kind of on similar wavelengths at the same time. Who else was in it? Uh, Sissy Spacek was in it. Let's see, Sissy Spacek. Uh, let's see, she was was she um, she was Carrie, right? She was in the original Carrie. Am I remembering that right? I don't know. I know that there was a there was a noise band called Sissy Spacek. I was really into noise music for for quite some time. Like I liked deeply experimental like just incoherent fucking noise music. Uh let's see there was let's let me go run down a list of some of my favorite <laughs> No, Sissy Spacek was aight, um, but I was really into, like, wolf eyes. If you want to hear, like, some weird fucking music that's, like, like, seems like noise, but it's actually kind of fucking awesome. Like, wolf eyes is fucking awesome. I fucking love wolf eyes. I'm a big fan of Boyd Rice and his project Non. It's a movie, a band called Non. And Boyd Rice, who's, you know... Not without his level of controversy over time, but a fucking interesting dude. And, you know, he's like the fucking OG fucking noise music guy. Um, and then you get shit like Massona and fucking Mersbau and shit like that. Anyways, why am I talking about noise music? Anyway, I'm going to... Okay. Keep moving. Move on, Adam. Anyways, the straight story for all of you David Lynch fans who maybe, you know, or I, I imagine a lot of people are uh, re-watching David Lynch or rediscovering David Lynch or just newly discovering David Lynch because the new Dune movie came out. The, the most recent and brand new, brand spanking new Dune. 
The planet was called Braxis, also known as Dune. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So I'm sure people went back and watched the original Dune because people shit on... I'm, People shit on David Lynch's Dune, but I think people are going to go back now and, like, give it all this praise and act like there's some, they're part of some fucking revival of a cult following of Dune. It's like, you you didn't like Dune. You're one of those assholes who rather never knew about it or you're, you just shit on it because you thought that's what you're supposed to do. But there's that fucking scene where Kyle MacLachlan is going to, you know, go off to be a fucking man and... He's with Ergen Proc now with a beard and they're looking out over the ocean. Like that scene between the father that that father and son scene is beautiful. Okay? So all you fucking haters of Dune with Sting oiled up wearing a thong can fucking eat a dick, okay? That was rude. Eat a dick. I apologize. Anyways, let's let's move on from the straight story. Let's go move on to being John Malkovich. Holy fuck. A very mainstream, fairly high, fairly high budget movie with big, big name actors in it. And it's so fucking strange. Being John Malkovich. uh, Let me see. John Cusack. And I like John Cusack, even though he's in real life. He's a fucking weirdo. Uh, John Cusack is like a guy who's like a He's like a like a street busker, basically. Like he's obsessed with like marionette puppets, and he discovers that there's a. This is like I'm totally condensing an entire movie down to like a few seconds. So uh, he finds that there's this building that has a thirteen thirteen and a half floor. Um, and when you go up to the floor, the floor is like half the size of a normal floor. So it's like once you get off the elevator, like you're, you're like hunched over because the ceiling's so low. And he finds that this strange building, that there is a room that when you go into this tiny room behind a tiny door, you go into the mind of John Malkovich and you can see through his eyes and um, you're in there. You're you're you can see everything that John Malkovich sees from his point of view. And then um, it's very brief. And then your body gets dumped out like on the New Jersey turnpike or something like that. So um, he goes back to the building and goes back into the door because he wants to go back into John Malkovich's head. And then over time, he realizes that he can control John Malkovich's body. Um, and then John Malkovich actually finds out about it. And it's like, what the fuck? What are you doing going inside my head and fucking fucking with my, my life and my body and all this shit? And anyways, it, being John Malkovich, very strange, but fun. And uh, for all you people out there who never seen John Malkovich, um, and but maybe you've heard of it, or you're curious about seeing it. Uh, may I offer you a uh, a double feature? Uh, being John Malkovich, and then um, okay. Uh, there's a movie called Color Me Kubrick from 2005, and it's a comedy, and it's, and it stars John Malkovich, and it's a the the movie's a true story. The it was. Uh, it was it was a true story about an assistant to Stanley Kubrick, a long time assistant who's been with Stanley Kubrick since like the sixties. And it was a true story where there was this this man in England 
who was going around telling people he was Stanley Kubrick at a time where maybe people weren't Googling things easily, but he would, he would show up places and tell people like I'm Stanley Kubrick and he was basically a con man. So he would con people out of all types of shit, like, you know, basic shit, like, you know, uh, shit at stores and restaurants and bars, but he was also conning people out of like business deals and shit under the idea of like, Oh, I'm Stanley Kubrick. And, um, the movie's, um, wonderfully strange. And if, I mean, being John Malkovich is a fucking strange movie, but watch being John Malkovich first, just to get the weirdness out of the way, just, you know, and then, and then kind of, and, uh, an aperitif would be color me Kubrick. It's, it's very funny. It's goofy. And, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty obscure actually. It's like, it wasn't nearly as big of a movie as being John Malkovich, but it's, it's a fun movie and it's really, it's all about John Malkovich. It's like, he's in the whole fucking movie and he's just hamming it up. Color me Kubrick. Anyway. Anyway, what else came out in 1999? The Sixth Sense. Oh my. Yes. The Sixth Sense. The, the movie that made M night Shyamalan super duper famous. Uh, I still like the Sixth Sense. I think it's it's very good movie. Uh, you know, uh, Bruce Willis was still really good back then. And most movies with kids, I just can't do. I think kid actors suck and stories that are sort of revolved around relying on most of the lines to be done by a child. I just, I don't have the energy for, but Haley Joel Osment does a lovely job playing a terrified fucking child. (laughs) Um, let's everyone knows the sixth sense. Um, and Tony Collette's in it. Tony Collette. That's Tony Collette, right? Yeah. Tony Collette plays his mother. Tony Collette's been playing a mother forever. She's good in she's good in everything. She she's also in Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> anyway. What else came out in 99? The Wishmaster. Now, The Wishmaster is basically um, if Aladdin was a horror movie and the Wishmaster movies weren't exactly the highest budgeted movies, but the premise is basically this. There's this thing called uh, a djinn, which is basically a genie. And um, if you if you make the genie appear... He will grant you wishes, but the problem with the djinn is the djinn will um, trick you by granting your wish, but granting it in such a way where it ends up horrifically bad for you as opposed to uh, really good for you. So that, that, I mean, that's the, that's the premise of like every Wishmaster movie and they made a bunch of Wishmaster movies and they're kind of corny and they kind of fall into the realm of like direct to video um, you know, type of movies, but I like the Wishmaster movies. They're they're corny, but they're good. I mean, it's I mean, I think it's a step above like the Leprechaun movies. 
And I really can't do the Leprechaun movies. I saw the first one in theaters, and then after that, I was like, I'm good. Let's see. The South Park movie came out in 1999. South Park is still fucking completely crushing it. And, um, I mean, what else is there to say about fucking South Park? So I'm just going to skip right past that because South Park is great. <clears throat> Let's see. There's uh oh, we finally got a fucking documentary. Oh, yes. Uh, American movie. Mm. So, so American movie is about uh, Mr. Mark Borchard, uh, who's. A guy who is an aspiring filmmaker and he wants to make a horror movie <laughs> and um, it's it's the story about a guy making a very, very low budget movie and I mean, American Movie itself was a low budget movie. <laughs> like, 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 American Movie, the documentary, was a low budget, so Mark Borchardt's movie was even lower budget and it just basically goes and he, I mean, he's like a, him and his buddy, uh, him and his buddy, Mike, oh, no, not Mike. What's it? What's his buddy name? Tom. Uh, it basically goes through all of the nightmare scenarios that Mark goes through to make this fucking horror movie he wants to make. And it's funny. It's a good fucking documentary. And I definitely, if like if you haven't seen a good documentary in a while, or if, like there's a lot of documentaries that are just like mm, I don't want to say bad, but I really haven't seen a documentary that's blown my hair back lately, except maybe uh, "Don't Fuck with Cats" on Netflix. And that's more of a series, but "Don't Fuck with Cats" is pretty damn good. Um, and and American movie, it, American movie is definitely a, a completely separate thing. From uh, don't fuck with cats, like they're not similar at all. But uh, American movie is actually pretty funny. So uh, if you want to watch a bunch of Midwesterners uh, try to cobble together uh, a a horror film uh, on the on the cheap in the 1990s, uh, watch American movie. Uh, watch the trailer. You know that may not sound uh, that probably wasn't the best description, but watch the trailer and. If you think like that's something you might get some chuckles out of, like watch American movie because you know this list. This list is just starting to loosen up a little bit. You know, we have Office Space, we had South Park movie, American movie. We actually have some pretty good laughs in this list. What else? There's the sequel to Freeway, Freeway Two. Mm. I mean, I put it on the list. It's not exactly my most favorite movie in the world, but. Um, I like the first freeway so much, you know, it's like a Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland. And it's basically, uh, it's basically the big bad wolf. It's a story of the big bad wolf, but a modern interpretation. And then, so, um, yeah, it's freeway two. Um, let's see. Vincent Gallo is in it. And uh, David Allen Greer <laughs> and uh, Natasha Leone. And it's basically, um, 
like, Hey, let's break out of jail and go to fucking Mexico movie. You know, uh, it's a lot different from the first one, but if you saw the first freeway or, or I mean, watch the second one, it's like, why not? Because you ended up watching the first freeway somehow. So, I mean, if you're, if you if your life led you to watching Freeway One, just watch Freeway Two. <laughs> Let's see. Also, uh, nineteen ninety nine, Cruel Intentions. Oh my God, is Bittersweet Symphony just coming to mind? Yeah, Cruel Intentions came out when I was in high school, and that was sort of like people were like, "Ooh, do you see Cruel Intentions?" It's so sexy. Fucking. What's that? Uh, Zach Morris's sister has a, a necklace, has a, has a crucifix around her neck that's filled with cocaine. Oh my. I don't know. I've seen cruel. Watch, let's see. Going back and watching cruel intentions is like watching like, saved or I don't know. It's just one of those kind of like bitchy high school movies from the nineties that I don't know. I kind of have a soft spot for, even though they're kind of corny, but I felt like cruel intentions was really trying to say something. Um, was it saying anything at all? I don't know, but cruel intentions just seems like one of those movies you just see as, you know, you see in high school and, you know, it, it, you know, you know how well it ages. It kind of ages like uh, I know what you did last summer. That's how cruel intentions sort of age. Like you don't hate it, but it's definitely not your favorite movie. But um, I think it's worth seeing at least once, just to kind of get a feel of the time of like, oh, it's it's one of those movies where it's like, is this what rich kids were doing in the nineties? Okay, that's weird. <laughs> Um, oh my God. Now, now we have some real serious comedy here. Galaxy quest. Fucking galaxy quest. Galaxy quest is basically a movie where, um, this cast of actors who are basically in this show. That's star Trek. It's, uh, Tim, the Toolman Taylor plays, uh, captain Kirk and Sigourney Weaver plays, uh, I guess a pseudo uh, a combination of Deanna Troy and Beverly Crusher and Alan Rickman plays a combination of uh, he's basically Spock and then uh, what's that other dude's name? I totally confused him on on the last episode. I I think it was last episode. I confused him with some other guy. And I totally said that he was somebody else, but, um, oh, I remember, I remember, uh, Sam Rockwell, I, and, okay, in the previous episode, a correction, okay, I'm gonna make a correction right now, I, the Poltergeist remake, I think that was last episode, I said that, uh, the Poltergeist remake had, uh, starred Colin Farrell, but I was completely wrong, I was remembering it wrong, I was like, I can't believe that Colin Farrell did the Poltergeist remake, you know? But he ended up doing, you know, 
the killing of a sacred deer and fucking the lobster. So, you know, that's good for him. <coughs> totally got that wrong. That was Sam Rockwell was in fucking uh, the Poltergeist remake. So I apologize to um, Colin Farrell for confusing him with Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell was in Galaxy Quest, uh, also in um, Matchstick Men with the almighty Nicolas Cage. But Galaxy Quest is basically um, these actors from Star Trek who go to Star Trek conventions, but they're basically, they're Galaxy Quest. They're Galaxy Quest conventions, but they're Star Trek conventions. That's what it's supposed to be. They actually get stuck in this um, fucking time warp alternate world where they're actually in Galaxy Quest. Like, they're in the TV show, and they have to... But they these actors have to become the characters from the show to save the fucking day. And along the way there's there's a the movie's hilarious. It's really funny. Especially if you're actually a you know, if if you're a fan of two things. One, Star Trek the Next Generation, and if you're a fan of uh Red Dwarf <laughs> Which you know was which was a um, oh no we're trapped in space show kind of like Mystery Science Theater three thousand if you like Mystery Science Theater three thousand or Red Dwarf or Star Trek the Next Generation I would recommend Galaxy Quest there put a nice bow in it for you wow I'm really I'm really impressed with myself that's the best way I can recommend Galaxy Quest if I told somebody. If you're a fan of Red Dwarf, Mystery Sensor 3000, or Star Trek The Next Generation, watch Galaxy Quest. And it's funny. Enjoy. <clears throat> Let's see. Ooh, this one was a favorite of mine, and I actually rented it. Oh, my God. I rented it from a video store and never took it back. And I think the video, I think, um, the video store just went out of business, too. So it's mine now. I'm never paying those late fees off. That would be Payback, starring Mel Gibson. Again, Mel Gibson, back on the list, because he was still making movies in the 90s. And Mel Gibson, um, it's, uh, let me see who's in it. You have uh, James Coburn, who also was in Maverick with uh, Mel Gibson. So if you're old like me and you never saw Payback back in the '90s and you didn't see uh, you didn't see Maverick or Payback, go watch those. They're fun. They're fun movies. They're um, they're fairly well written. They're well acted. They had good sets. Um, who's the guy who does the fucking gold commercials? Hi, I'm William Devane. Do you want to buy some gold? Buy some gold. And you can live in a giant fucking log cabin like I do. Yeah, William Devane is in uh, Payback. He plays like a gangster dude. Uh, Chris Christopherson is in Payback. Uh, James Coburn. They're all kind of like uh, various mobster dudes on um, kind of, uh, they're like in the same organization, but they're on like different levels, you know. And uh, basically, Mel Gibson gets 
and like he pulls some kind of fucking uh, robbery job with one of his buddies and his lady and him the his buddy and his lady turn on him and shoot him in the back leave him for dead and he ends up surviving getting the bullet dug out of his back and then he um like like his cut of that particular robbery was something I don't know, something like $40,000, something like that, $30,000, $40,000, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it all, it doesn't sound like a lot now, but it also was didn't sound like a lot in 1999 either, because this whole thing where he's basically like, um, it's almost like he doesn't necessarily want revenge, he's just like, I want my money, and he just, it, the whole movie is just him like, I'm going to go through every level of this organization and fucking kill anyone I have to to get my $40,000. And there's a great scene where um, <laughs> he goes to James Coburn's like mansion and shit, and he's just getting back from vacation and shit, and he's holding his fucking... His, like, uh, he's got like bodyguards, right? He's got like kind of goon bodyguard guys who are carrying his... like alligator suitcases and shit and he comes around the corner and he's like everyone put your hands up and he's like you guys holding suitcases put your arms up so they're holding these suitcases up in the air and James Coburn's like uh he's like he's like you guys better not drop your arms and like at one point the guy's arms get tired and they start to slowly lower and fucking Mel Gibson just shoots one of the guys suitcases and he's like He's like, what the fuck, dude? You shoot my luggage? He's, that's fucking just mean, man. He's like... And then he finds out at the end of the thing where he's just like, you're going to tell me who I need to fucking... You're going to tell me... You're going to give me a name and let me know where the fuck I can get my fucking money. And he's like, he's like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, He's like, how much did they owe you? And he's like, 40000 He's like, 40000 He's like, my fucking shoes cost more than that. So it's this whole thing where like Mel Gibson just he just fucking tears down this entire organization single hand, like John wick just to get $40,000. He ends up getting his fucking fingers smashed and he gets all fucked up to get his goddamn money at the end. But he ends up getting the girl. He gets his fucking money. He, he fucking crushed all his enemies and seen them all driven before him. And the end, that's basically payback. And, uh, it's pretty good. Let me see. Oh my, our friend Jim Jarmusch is back on the list with 1999's Ghost Dog. Um, starring the guy from uh, Color of Money who hustles Paul Newman in a pool game. Forrest Whitaker, that's his name. Forrest Whitaker plays Ghost Dog. He's an assassin. He has guns, he has swords, and uh, he's taking on the mafia. Okay. And the public enemy is on the soundtrack. <laughs> that's all. That's all I'm gonna say about fucking Ghost Dog. It was directed by Jim Jarmusch, and uh, it's great. It's it, well, it's it's weird. It's like, um, I don't know. I don't want to say it feels like an odd man out, like a like like the straight. It's it's it. It kind of feels like this. How the straight story is to. David Lynch, Ghost Dog is to Jim Jarmusch, but in a good way. Like, the straight story is really good, and Ghost Dog's really good. 
and Force Whitaker's great in it, and he po- totally is convincing as a fucking weird samurai guy who communicates with his mafia handler via pigeon. <laughs> he communicates with me using a messenger pigeon. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, Ghost Dog, nineteen ninety nine. And last but not least, there is the Insider starring. Uh, Cameron Crowe? No, that, uh, Russell Crowe. And, uh, the movie's about this, uh, Russell Crowe plays this dude who works for, uh, I'm going off memory here, and this may or may not be correct. Um, from what I remember, he plays a guy who works for a cigarette company, a large cigarette company, and he was like a whistleblower, on some large company that's sort of like a Philip Morris type company. And uh, since he became a whistleblower, like people started threatening his life. And and Russell Crowe looks like shit in the movie. He's all fucking fat with gray. He basically looks like how he does now, but, uh, but back then. And it kind of has a... Uh, uh, what was that movie with George Clooney? Michael Clayton, it has that kind of feel. It kind of has this industrial espionage, um, fucking keep your fucking mouth shut, don't fuck with big business type of feel to it. I'm not going to go too deep into the fucking, the insider. Um, So that, that will conclude 1999. Holy shit, we're moving right along. This will be the longest episode yet, guys. Mm. Welp, let's go ahead and move on to... I might have to break this up into three separate sessions. Or three parts. Mm. Nah, fuck it, I'll do it in two. Okay, here we go. Let's move on to 1990. Well, first of all, this is number two. So we're we're at the last two here. Number two on the list of best best year for movies in the 1990s. We have the year and the okay, and I gotta say this was really, really tough choice here. Like I went back and forth between the top two years, and I'm uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick with my decision because. Um, I don't know. It it was it was tough, but I I'm I'm sticking with the decision I made. And number two is the year of 1994. 1994 brought us a fucking oh my god a fucking a perfect Christmas morning of fucking movies. Here are the movies: uh, The Professional, also known as Leon the Professional. Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Pulp Fiction, Natural Born Killers, Interview with a Vampire, The Crow, Speed, Crumb, one one of the greatest documentaries of all time, and actually was covered on this podcast on episode, it was actually episode four, entitled Crumb, Best Documentary Ever, Plus horror movie watch list for October. Yes, episode four of this very podcast. Crumb is a wonderful 
wonderful documentary. Uh, moving right along. What else came out in 94? The Usual Suspects. The Shawshank Redemption. Forrest Gump. Serial Mom. PCU. Wolf. Ed Wood. Maverick. A Clear and Present Danger. Time Cop. The Hudsucker Proxy. Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Clerks. Phantasm 3, True Lies, Airheads, The Chase, and Stargate. Holy shit. And a waffle cone. That's a goddamn great list of movies. And, I mean, that really covers a very large spectrum. Okay? You got your horror movies. You have your action. You have fucking... um, you know, you got your sci-fi. You have, you know, indie films. It's like you got an actual good college humor type of movie. Not the website. An actual movie that takes place in, in a college. So let's go ahead and let's just go ahead and chop right through these uh, in the most ex- expeditious way we possibly can. Okay. 1994, The Professional. So we have uh, Jean Renault. Uh Hot off the heels of fucking uh, La Femme Nikita. He always played a guy wearing uh, uh, circular rimmed glasses who was shooting people with a silencer. That's sort of like what John Renault was kind of known for. Uh, and a very young Natalie Portman. And uh, who plays Matilda. And of course, Gary Oldman. <sighs> Strong as fuck performance by Gary Oldman. So, uh, yeah, Leon played by John Renault is a, he is a hitman who is, you know, he's this bullet dodging boogeyman who just, he's the ultimate fucking hitman. That motherfucker shows up places, kills everyone in the place and vanishes into thin air. Um, Natalie Portman's family owed money to Gary Oldman, who plays a very crooked police officer who, uh, kills her family. And then she ends up sort of, uh, coming under the care of Jean Renault's character, Leon. Um, and he's incredibly hesitant because this is some orphan's child whose family got fucking murdered and, um, but she has nowhere to go. So she ends up staying with Leon, and then uh, she eventually finds out that Leon is an assassin and wants Leon to teach her how to be a hitman. And uh, madness ensues. He starts training up Matilda to be a fucking hitman, and uh, Leon gets compromised, and fucking Gary Oldman's hot on his fucking heels and wants to fucking take him out, and if you haven't seen The Professional, just, god damn it, just watch The Fucking Professional. I, I think originally, the prof- the original story of The Professional, um, story of Leon, he's supposed to be like 15. Like, he's supposed to be like a little bit older than Natalie Portman, not like 30 years older than Natalie Portman. <laughs> Which, that sexual, that weird sexual tension... That's 
like in the movie, like I think that that can be attributed to like weird Hollywood pervert people. <laughs> pervert people who run Hollywood were like instead of uh instead of Leon being like a 15-year-old Italian immigrant assassin, let's make him a fucking like 37-year-old man and have Natalie Portman wearing nothing but a wife beater and fucking, you know, tidy whities dance around in front of it. It's I mean, by today's standards, like there's some very uncomfortable moments in that movie, but it is a fucking fantastic movie. It's very good. The Professional, 1999. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, yeah, Wes Craven. By I mean, <clears throat> I'm sorry, not 1999, 1994. Uh, 94. Wes Craven um, took over the reins of fucking. A Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, after Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and uh, Wes Craven's, Wes Craven jumping in and, you know, kind of overseeing Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the Dream Warriors, like, things just flew off the rails. And then eventually you end up with fucking, like, Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare, and it's a shit show. And then some a little bit of time burned off, and then fucking Wes Craven's like, I'm going to kind of a bank on, you know, I mean, he, he, he got really meta. He got really smart and meta. And I kind of wish some other horror, um, I kind of wish it was just like, this would become a genre in, in itself. Um, like meta horror franchises that already exist, you know, like, um, you know, I mean, if fucking found footage movies can be a thing, why not? have meta films like like scream for instance scream was a killer who basically modeled themselves after slasher movie killers and then as the sequels went on the world of scream um there were there was the movie stab that's a you know the fictitious movie that is in the world of scream in the sequels where it's it like the stab movies are about the first movie of Scream in that world. And uh, I don't know. I always liked that. That was always like something I liked about the sequels of Scream. And, you know, Wes Craven, Wes Craven's New Nightmare was, okay, uh, let's see. The first, the, 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 the final girl in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Heather Langenkamp, uh, the character of Nancy. And, uh, Heather Langenkamp, another like boyhood crush of mine. Oh, a boyhood crush uh, of mine. She's, I was like, I don't know. Uh, there's something about leather Heather Langenkamp. I was just, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, boy, my 1994 crush, uh, Heather Langenkamp in uh, What's Craven's New Nightmare. Um, I was certainly more into her than Natalie Portman. Let's see, 94, I was 12. I was way into way more into fucking married with a child, fucking Heather Lincoln Camp and West Craven's New Nightmare. But basically, uh, in West Craven's New Nightmare, like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies um, are a thing. The movies exist, but like uh, Heather Lincoln Camp plays herself. Robert England, who's Freddy Krueger, plays himself, and Bob Shea from New Line Cinema, and West Craven plays himself. Like everyone 
plays themselves and they live in a world where basically Heather Lincoln camp is married. She lives in LA. She has a kid and she starts having nightmares, but with Freddy Krueger in them. And she starts contacting all the other people who were uh, in the first nightmare on Elm street movies and, or people who were involved in there. They also are having Freddy Krueger, in their nightmares, including Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger. It's this great scene where she like calls Robert England and she's like, Hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've been having fucking nightmares and Freddy Krueger has been in it. And, and Robert England sitting in his house and he's like painting a picture and he's like, yeah, I know it's weird. Right. Uh, anyways, I gotta go. And then he hangs up the phone and you see what he's painting. He's paint. He painted this fucking psychotic picture of Freddy Krueger. <laughs> but anyways, it's basically, like Freddy Krueger became real. Like the actual, the actual actors from a nightmare on Elm street started like they somehow made Freddy Krueger real in their dreams. But the, but the new Freddy Krueger they had, who was also, it was played by Robert England, but they made him scarier and more terrifying and more vicious. And, um, there's, there's some parts in the middle of the movie that kind of, kind of sag kind of drag a little bit but i fucking love west craven's new nightmare that's that's some shit i would definitely recommend to people uh during the halloween season or any time of year really watch west craven's new nightmare because if you already watch like you know nightmare on elm street and some of the other sequels and shit it's like well if you, if, you might as well watch west craven's new nightmare because some of those sequels are kind of lackluster <clears throat> let's jump ahead to oh my god 1994 now we're getting into all the fucking giant monster movies. Well, not really monster movies, but movies that were box office monsters. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, my God. Um, I saw... I remember the first time I saw Pulp Fiction. The first time I saw Pulp Fiction was actually the first time I actually drank alcohol. And I think it was the first time. I was at a buddy of mine's house who actually that guy ended up becoming a real fucking asshole. And I fucking, he was like my sworn enemy by the time I got out of high school. But, um, I mean, in 1994, you know, we were just, we were just kiddos just trying to navigate through our fucking puberty. Um, but I watched Pulp Fiction at a friend's house, like spending the night in like, um, and he he was able to sneak out some Coors Light that was warm from his parents' garage, and a bottle, like an old half-empty bottle of Malibu rum. <laughs> so we're sitting there watching Pulp Fiction in this sort of like back, kind of like den room in his family's house. It's like late at night, and we're sitting there passing. Fucking Coors, warm Coors Light and even warmer Malibu rum back and forth to each other watching Pulp Fiction. Just feeling cool as fuck watching Pulp fucking Fiction. When Bonnie buys coffee, she buys shit. Okay? I buy the expensive stuff because when I drink my coffee, I want to taste it. Anyways... Love Pulp Fiction. There's nothing more to say about Pulp Fiction. It's a 
a perfect film. And, um, I mean, it's, it's the year of 2021. If you haven't seen Pulp Fiction yet, you need to move your ass. Okay. Please and thank you. Let's move on to a movie that was not directed, but written originally by uh, Quentin Tarantino, but directed by Oliver Stone, and that would be Natural Born Killers. I absolutely love Natural Born Killers. I might actually like it more than Pulp Fiction, actually. It was such a it was such a unique movie. Just the way it was shot. There's so many it's like there's all these weird all these weird cuts in the movie. Like the movie's constantly cutting back and forth and it's surreal and psychedelic and there's really been nothing made like Natural Born Killers since. Not that I can think of. If there's a movie that I'm not that's that respectfully rips off Natural Born Killers, please contact me. Skeleton underscore factory on Instagram. Like get a hold of me because Natural Born Killers is so goddamn good and the cast is fucking crazy. You have Woody Harrelson, you have Juliet Lewis um, playing Mickey and Mallory Knox. You have Robert Downey Jr., yes, Iron Man, playing um, sort of a, was he supposed to be Australian? Like an Australian Geraldo Rivera uh, by uh, Robert Downey Jr., playing the character of Wayne Gale. And then you had um, uh, Prison Warden, played by Tommy Lee Jones, and motherfucking Tom Sizemore. Again, showing up uh, playing Jack Scagnetti and a you know, fucking Rodney Dangerfield playing a fucking incestual, abusive father of uh, Juliet Lewis, and the uh, and her mother was played by uh, Grace, the secretary from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Grace! I guess it means it's personal and it's none of your business, young lady. Anyways, uh, Natural Born Killers is so goddamn good. It's one of those movies where, like, back in the day, um, it had a soundtrack. Like, everyone bought the soundtrack. You know? And the soundtrack was, like, it was all right. <laughs> like, it was, like, it was pretty decent. Um, but it, it was like everyone bought it, you know, the fucking Rage Against the Machine was in it, Nine Inch Nails and shit, but, uh, Leonard Cohen, you know, it was, so in case you haven't seen or heard of Natural Born Killers, like real quick, it's, uh, Mickey and Mallory Knox. Mickey is basically this like criminal guy who is delivering meat one day to, uh, Mallory's uh, family's home and he's basically like like they it's like a love at first sight sort of thing and he's like you should you should get away from your shitty family and run away with me she's like okay so they um, kill her father uh, with a crowbar and drown him in a fish tank and then they tie her mom to a bed and light the house on fire and um, they run off together and as soon as they run off together they just start a fucking murder spree across the United States and um, 
their whole thing is uh, they're they're mass murderers, and that's actually uh, uh, the point of that 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 distinction is made at one point in the movie where they're not uh, really serial killers; they're mass murderers because they'll show up to a place, they'll kill everyone in the place, and but they'll leave one person alive because the idea is you want to keep one person alive so they can tell the tale of Mickey Mallory, and they are being pursued by this sort of like uh, super cop guy named Jack Scagnetti. And he wrote a book. So he was, he kind of had some, he was, he was kind of famous cause he was this like super cop who wrote a book and um, it's called Scagnetti on Scagnetti and played by Tom Sizemore. And he, um, he ends up uh, capturing Mickey and Mallory and then they both <laughs> go to the same prison for some reason. That's convenient. So the, <laughs> Um, they're both, they both go to the same prison and Tommy Lee Jones is a fucking warden there. And, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, basically convinces, I don't know. I don't know if he convinces the state or the prison or whoever to fucking, um, like, let me have access to, uh, Mickey who's Woody Harrelson. Like I want to do a interview with him during the halftime of the Super Bowl. So I want to do this like interview with a serial killer during the halftime of the Super Bowl. And um, uh, Mickey agrees, and um, so they basically interview him in the prison. Uh, Mickey, um, during a commercial break, uh, manages to uh, get a hold of a shotgun and escape and break out of, uh, break out of the area that he's confined in and basically starts a riot in the prison. He starts a riot, and so the prison is now rioting. He's, he's got guns, he's got hostages, and he's, like, <clears throat> you know, telling a guard, like, you're going to take me to fucking, you know, Mallory's cell, and you better hope she's still alive. And so they have to navigate through this entire fucking prison riot that's on fire, and there's people getting fucking murdered, and, you know, they finally... um Mickey and Mallory reunite, and then they're like, okay, now we need to get the fuck out of this prison and escape. So they take uh, they take Wayne Gale hostage, and the whole time they're like, you better be recording this the entire fucking time. And if I'm not mistaken, it's like, it's like they take Wayne Gale, and then they take his cameraman. And I could be wrong, but I think the cameraman is Marvin Nash, the cop from... Reservoir Dogs that gets his fucking ear cut off by Mr. Blonde. I think. I think it's the same guy. Anyways, um, so they they end up escaping from the prison. Um, fucking, you know, uh, Jack Scagnetti. Fucking Mallory kills Jack Scagnetti. The prisoners kill... Tommy Lee Jones, the warden, and then the whole fucking place just burns to the ground, and Mickey and Mallory escape, and they take Wayne Gale hostage, and he's recording the whole thing, and they get away, and um, before they get away, they're gonna uh, Wayne Gale thinks that they're he's gonna be let go, they're gonna let him go, and take the footage. And, you know, sensationalize it however the fuck Wayne Gale sensationalizes shit. And um, they end up fucking, they're like, no, we're actually going to kill you. 
And he's like, why are you going to kill me for man? <laughs> like, like I thought we were all in this together and don't you need someone alive to tell the fucking tale? And he's just, they're like, no, you're, you're scum. We don't like you. Like, <laughs> like you don't care about us. You just care about like ratings and, and, uh, we're going to fucking kill you. And we are leaving someone alive to tell the tale of your camera. And then they kill him. Oh my God. I should have fucking included that in my first episode about people who kill people on camera. Anyways, <laughs> well, listen to my first episode. It's great. Um, so they, they uh, kill Wayne Gale and then Mickey Mallory right off in the sunset. And that's the end. And it's it's a fucking amazing movie. I love Natural Born Killers. Um, now, that, now that I'm saying all this out loud, I feel bad that I didn't make this number one. <laughs> but don't worry. Number one is, is amazing. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Interview with a Vampire. Uh, again, if you're looking for a good vampire movie... Um, interview with the vampire is great. It's, um, you know, it takes place over long stretches of time. It's, uh, Christian Slater interviews, uh, Brad Pitt in modern times. And he basically tells his story of like how he became a vampire way back when, and the vampire that turned him. And he talks about, uh, Lestat who's Lestat is a, uh, played by Tom Cruise and he's blonde. <laughs> And uh, let's see who else, like Kirsten Dunst and Antonio Banderas. And it's basically him surviving as a fucking vampire over the years to the points to the point he's at now. And um, it's really good. It's very dramatic. And, but uh, I like interview with the vampires. It was, it's, it's a cool vampire movie. And va- like, I feel like there's no reason for there to be bad, a bad vampire movie. There's like so much you can do with like a vampire lore. Like I don't understand how anyone could ever fuck up a vampire movie. I like vampire movies. I'll take them over a haunted house movie any day. Like I'd rather watch Blackula than the conjuring or malignant. Like Blackula is great. People think that's like some exploitation movie. No, Blackula is like, that's like a real story about a guy who got fucking bitten by a fucking vampire. Um, and he got cursed and then he was put in a fucking coffin until the seventies. And then when he came out, he was just like, cool. I'm Blackula. <laughs> he's like, it's, it's, it was sort of like, it didn't matter that Blackula was black. Like that was sort of, besi- that was besides the point. Like that story could have been done in Korea. That, that fucking story could have been done in Idaho white people it could have been done in mexico like the story of blackula is like it's a good story it's just he just happened to be black i'd rather watch that than some fucking haunted house movie so basically what i'm saying is i like vampire stories um let's see the crow touched on that last episode um yeah i rewatched the crow recently wasn't as good as i remember but i still do like the crow and it's one of those properties where i'm like you know what if someone wants to remake the crow, I'm not going to be mad at it. You know, it's like, I think that's a, that is a, that's a fairly, that's a good world to make a remake in. I think there's, you know, there's some wiggle room there to make something really cool. And that movie's, it's kind of dated actually. Now the special effects are a little, uh, like kind of wonky, but, um, anyways, uh, what else came out? 94 speed, love speed. Um, Keanu Reeves, Fucking crushing it every step of the way. Who else is in that movie? Sandra Bullock, who lives in Austin, Texas. Holler. 
you to do Bird Box, though. And for that, I can never forgive her. Uh, who else was in that? Cameron from fucking uh, First Bueller's Day Off is in that. Yeah. I like Speed. Um, everyone knows Speed. I don't need to talk about Speed. Um, Crumb. I have an entire episode, like I said before, about Crumb. It's uh, one of the best documentaries ever made. It's about Robert Crumb, the famous cartoonist. Um, I mean, his shit is more edgy than, you know, most movies or TV shows. Like, Robert Crumb in one page of just cartoon panels can say more and provoke a reaction better than most shows can do in 10 seasons. So that's my opinion. Um, let's see. Uh, the usual suspects, you know, it's a whodunit story. It's a crime whodunit story. A bunch of criminals are, um, blackmailed, coerced by this, um, kind of shadowy, uh, kind of criminal character named Kaiser Soze to pull off this kind of like suicide mission, um, where you know, you know, high risk, high reward type of situation, and uh, um, yeah, usual suspects. You know, it's great. It's one of those movies where you, you know, you know it's. You probably don't want someone to spoil the fucking uh, the usual suspects for it. Like it's definitely like a surprise ending. Like because it's a who done it. It's like who the like who was able to pull off this fucking you know ma- who masterminded this whole fucking this whole fucking job. You know, and usual suspects is pretty good. Um, oh, giant. Oh my god, the next movie. I'm such a huge fan of. I watched it. Uh, God, I, I watch this movie at least once a year. That's the Shawshank Redemption. Um, let's see. Tim Robbins from uh, Noise and Tapeheads. And uh, let's see. Jacob's Ladder and nothing else. He wasn't in any, any other movies besides uh, those three. But uh, except for uh, Shawshank Redemption. It's about... Uh, it's about banker Andy Dufresne gets framed for uh, uh, he gets framed for murdering his wife and goes to Shawshank Prison, and uh, he gets raped for a few years until he fucking kills his rapist, and then the rest of the time he spends in prison um, working for the warden, who exploits his um, his knowledge of banking and accounting to, um, I guess he's. Um, basically laundering money um, at, from the prison so for, so that the fucking for, for the warden and um, you know in exchange he gets kind of like preferential treatment and some some you know you know toys and trinkets to play with you, you know uh, Morgan Freeman is friends with Andy Dufresne and so basically basically the whole time fucking every time uh, Andy Dufresne was in prison for like 20 years like the movie's like takes place over like a couple decades but the whole time like Andy Dufresne is plotting to escape and like you don't know that at first and then at the end like he, he ends up escaping and then they show how he escapes and how long he's been planning it and 
fucking shot. It's a, it's a, it's, it is a story about redemption. It's in the fucking title. Yeah. It's a fucking stick it to the man. Fucking, uh, it's a movie about freedom. <laughs> I love Shawshank Redemption. But yes, Shawshank Redemption. Everyone should watch it. Men, women, children, old people, people who don't speak English, blind people, everyone should see uh, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, also in 94, a movie that's, um, I mean, I like, but I'm just going to mention it just because it was so fucking enormous, and that was uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, a movie about uh, a a special needs man who uh, basically becomes a tech millionaire. The end. And he may or may not have got AIDS from his, uh, his baby's mama. The end. Next movie, Serial Mom, uh, directed by John Carpenter. John Carpenter. <laughs> Serial Mom. Serial Mom, directed by John... No. Uh, sorry, John Waters. That would be a totally different movie. Uh, yeah, Serial Mom. It, one of uh, one of the like major studio John Waters movies. There was like that and Hairspray and... I don't know what else. I had a fairly high budget. Maybe, maybe Pecker. Um, but yes, uh, Serial Mom... Mm. it's about it's about a it's about a uh, it is about a suburban mother who's a uh, fucking serial killer and ends up getting away with it and her son's Matthew Lillard who's one of the killers in Scream so there you go I like to pretend that uh, Scream and Serial Mom are in the same universe anyways uh, let's move on to PCU starring um Ari Gold from uh, Entourage and um, uh, the, the the fat guy from Swingers, John Favreau. Uh, I, I kind of like John Favreau, but I also uh, think he's annoying, an annoying douche at the same time. I don't know. It's, it's hard. I hold both those thoughts in my head. I'm like, oh, that guy's actually pretty creative and interesting. Then at the same time, I'm like, uh, you're a douche. But anyways, um, the two of them are in a fraternity. It's kind of a fraternity. It's basically a giant fucking party house on this uh, college campus, um, a highly politicized uh, college campus where everyone for uh, one night stops all their fucking, um, all their political disagreements to... See George Clinton in the Parliament Funkadelic, and everyone just hangs out and drinks beer and um, just has a good time. A lot more happens in the movie, but that's ultimately what happens, and I like that movie a lot. And I'm a big fan of uh, George Clinton and Parliament and Funkadelic. Mm. If you get a chance to see him, see him. While you can, because George Clinton is an elderly man. So if you have a chance to go see fucking Parliament Funkadelic, please do it. Um, let's see, what else came out? There was Wolf with Jack Nicholson playing a werewolf. Um, James Spader and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. 
that movie's uh, strange, but I, I like it. <laughs> Imagine Jack Nicholson playing a werewolf. Okay, that's what the movie Wolf is like. Okay, moving along, there was Ed Wood, directed by Tim Burton. Um, I love Ed Wood. It's one of my favorite Tim Burton movies. It's right up there with Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. It's about um, director of Plan 9 from Outer Space, Ed Wood. And it's a black and white film. <laughs> and it's about the making of um, what would become Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, it's a star-studded cast. you got Bill Murray. you got um, the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, who also was the... Was the bad guy in uh, Howard the Duck, whatever that dude's name is, and um, Sarah Jessica Parker, and uh, some old guy playing Bella Lugosi. Edward's great. You'll, you'll, I love it. Maverick starring, uh, Maverick starring Mel, everyone's favorite actor, uh, Mel Gibson. Every, and, um, it's basically a remake. It's a it's a it's a western about a gambler who you know uh, wants to. It's a gambler gunslinger guy who uh, wants to uh, win this giant poker tournament, and but all, there's all these people trying to fucking kill him and rip him off, and there's a lot of backstabbing and double crossing in it, and uh, Jodie Foster's in it, and. Alfred Molina and it's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. I don't I actually haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know how well it, it aged, but the way I remember it, I, I liked, uh, I liked Maverick. I used to watch it with my stepdad and we'd, and we'd watch it and have a good old time. Let's see. Uh, a clear present danger again, fucking Harrison Ford doing his Tom Clancy shit. Um, his, his like fucking, Government, terrorist, espionage, fucking movies in the 90s. Um, don't have much to say about it. Saw it once. Thought it was okay. Um, Time Cop. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, in the future, he has a self-driving car. I think it's the first movie that ever introduced the idea of... Um, if you go back in time and you see your younger self... Um, the two of you can't occupy the same space at the same time. Otherwise, you'll meld together into a giant uh, a glue monster and cause a fucking fucking uh, rift through time and space. And that movie introduced that. Also, he does a splits wearing underwear on a kitchen counter. That's where I remember about Time Cop. And he had a mullet. All right, there was the Hudsucker Proxy starring Tim Robbins as a guy uh, who invented the hula hoop. And it's it's a it's a really it's a really well-done campy movie. Most campy movies I just really can't get with, but Hudsucker Proxy is good. <laughs> Paul Newman is also in that as well. Um I think it's Paul Newman. I don't know. He's old as fucking it. Let's see, what else came out? Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I mean, another annoyingly quotable movie. But in 1994, I was all about it. And um, 
It's a shame that uh, Jim Carrey ended up becoming a fucking crazy person. But, you know, his uh, paintings aren't half bad, so I guess he's got that going for him. All right, let's jump to Clerks, um, Kevin Smith's uh, first movie. Um, A really good, low-budget movie takes place in a fucking liquor store, and everybody knows Clerks. And if you haven't seen Clerks, um, I don't know. You could probably live your whole life without seeing Clerks, but... hmm. If you've seen uh, Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe cartoon, you owe it to yourself to watch Clerks. Okay? Enough said. What else came out? Phantasm 3. Um, Phantasm 3... I mean, Phantasm 3 is for people who... It's like... Watching Phantasm 3 is like watching... Hell... It's like watching Highlander 2. In that... um, If you... There's no reason to watch Hellraiser. I'm sorry, Hellraiser. There's no reason to watch Phantasm 2 or 3 unless you've seen 1. And the only reason why you would be watching Phantasm 3 is because you've already been sucked into the world of Phantasm. So, and even and me trying to even explain what the fuck Phantasm's about is like, I don't know, I can never do it justice, so... Uh, the best thing I can do is recommend watching Phantasm 1, and if you like that, then proceed with the sequels. Because there's a lot of them. So, you know, choose your own adventure there. Okay. Let's see. We have uh, Stargate, which, you know, we got some sci-fi. I found Stargate to be interesting. They made a TV show about it, so I don't have much to say about Stargate. Let's see. True Lies. Like True Lies a lot. Fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger's a spy. Lies about it to his fucking wife. And then she finds out he's a spy. Then they go on an adventure to take down a fucking uh, Muslim extremist terrorist. (laughs) And then they blow him up. The end. That's True Lies. Mm, The last two are... um, I, I, you know... I actually loved I, I love both these movies and I watched the fuck out of both of them. That is Airheads and The Chase, starring Chrissy Swanson from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, Charlie Sheen. And Airheads is uh, uh, Airheads is about um, Steve Buscemi, Adam Sandler, and uh, Brendan Fraser. They're a band called the Lone Rangers, and they just want to get their demo tape played on the air, so they kind of accidentally hold a fucking rock station hostage at fake a gunpoint so they can get their uh, song played on the air. And in the meantime, uh, the news finds out that the, you know, the station is being held hostage and then tons of people show up and it becomes a big media spectacle and they end up getting their song played and they have to go to prison. And, but when they get out, they become super famous and, um, Lemmy is in it for Motorhead. It's a, it's a goofy, fun movie. The Chase is Charlie Sheen is uh, an escaped convict, and then he um, is he escaped convict? Well, basically, the cops are looking for him, and he grabs Chrissy Swanson at a liquor store, jumps in her car, and then they head for the Mexican border. And the chase is on, and he's being chased by the guy who played the revolting Blob and Billy Madison and Henry Rollins. And a camera crew. 
Uh, so the chase is them going all the way and um, to the border, and they have to stop them before they get into Mexico. So, um, so most of the movie takes place inside of a car. <laughs> it takes place inside of a couple of cars. And uh, Ray Weiss, I think Ray Weiss from uh, Twin Peaks and RoboCop is uh, Chrissy Swanson's uh, dad. But it's one of those movies that's u- uniquely 90s. And um, it's funny. There's action in it. Uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers get ran off the road. The end. That's, that's fucking the chase. Anyways, that wraps up 1994. It comes in at number two. And it was fucking awesome. So now the time has come. It has been a long, long road, but we are finally. And um, hopefully your power of deduction, you know exactly what year it is. Number one is the best year for movies in the decade of the 1990s, and that would be the year of 1990. 1990, which brought us the following films. Edward Scissorhands, Misery, Total Recall, the remake of Night of the Living Dead, directed by Tom Savini, The Exorcist Three, Goodfellas, Tremors, King of New York, Die Hard 2, Child's Play 2, Kindergarten Cop, Dark Man, Born on the Fourth of July, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Gremlins 2, Hard to Kill, Frankenhooker, Predator 2, I Come in Peace, Nightbreed, Maniac Cop 2, Hardware, Brain Dead, Troll 2, I know, I'll get to that. Cat in the Brain, Lord of the Flies, Robocop 2, My Blue Heaven, Joe vs. the Volcano, Slacker, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, La Femme Nikita, and Home Alone. So after much, after much deliberation, I have found that 1990 for for my criteria, for my money, it has quality films with massive rewatchability. It has great genre variety and it has quantity. You have really good comedies. You have even like fucking kids movies. (laughs) You have good indie films, you have good, great horror films, and you have action, sci-fi, you have fucking gangster, mobster movies. You know, and for me, if I was, if I had to do 2020 over again, if I was trapped indoors, and all I had was a stack of movies... A stack of fucking DVDs or VHSs. <laughs> this would be the stack I would I would grab. All right, so let's tear through these. Um, we have Home Alone. 
even today I like Home Alone. It's fucking corny movie, but um, you know I liked it when it came out. I like it now. <laughs> about 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 a rich white kid, and and what was it? Where were they? Chicago. <laughs> Some rich kid in Chicago gets left alone by his his negligent parents and his uh, negligent fucking family that uh, and siblings and uncles and aunts who can't stand him. He gets left alone on Christmas and um, some burglars try to uh, break in and kill him and rob the house and probably do sexual post-mortem things to his corpse but he completely stops them using the power of booby traps. So that's home alone. <laughs> uh, next movie, uh, La Femme Nikita, uh, a film that is massively underrated. I think not even underrated. It just got forgotten about. You know, um, there was an American version of La Femme Nikita called Point of No Return. And basically what it is is there's like this criminal woman who this 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 organization uh, finds that she's a criminal, but she's smart enough to be trained to be an assassin. So they train her to be an assassin and uh, she's, you know, she's tasked with uh, killing people. And um, while at the same time she attempts to have... Um, a relationship with a guy and he has no idea what the fuck she does. You know, she thinks he, she has no, he has no idea what the fuck she does for a living, but she's secretly like <laughs> fucking killing people. So it's kind of like true lies. But, but anyways, uh, she basically, uh, has to avoid getting fucking killed by fucking, uh, mobsters and criminals and even her very own handlers who the, the very people who trained her. So, Wonderful film. La Femme Nikita. Check that shit out. Um, oh my god. The, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. The The original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like... It was like borderline rated R. <laughs> At least it could have been. Like... It, it, Well, it was more of a, it was a much grittier movie than any of the other movies that came after, including the most recent one, which I actually saw, I'm embarrassed to say I saw the Michael Bay Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in theaters, and it was bad. It was really bad. The first one is so much better than all of them, and... um, I mean, they're in rubber costumes and it's kind of corny and shit, but you know, um, it, it was one of those things where it's, like, it's, it's pure nostalgia. You know, it was 1990 and I was a fucking child and Ninja Turtles was my shit for, you know, a few years there. So there's nothing I can do about that. I can't change that fact. Um, I, I mean, I would watch it now, so, and probably enjoy it. Let's see what else came out. Oh my God. An Austin, Texas native director, Richard Linkletter with his film Slacker. Slacker is a, an odd film in that it just, it, it's a movie where people are just talking. 
and you'll you'll see like two people talking and they'll be walking around and then they'll run into another person and then another conversation will take place and it just fucking zig and zags like and it's basically people having weird as fuck conversations in a weird town and at a time where you kind of I don't know, looking at Austin now and looking at Austin then, it's kind of like, it, it's weird. It's a, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a bit, a very polar opposite type of thing, but fucking Slacker is a, a goofy, entertaining movie. And, um, it was done on the cheap, man. It was done on the cheap. It was just like a fucking camera and people walking and talking. So. Let's see. Joe versus the volcano. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan playing like she has like three or four different parts in that fucking movie. I don't know why they did that. But anyways, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Joe versus the volcano. Let's see. How do I describe this? Basically. Okay. Joe play by played by Tom Hanks. He, is diagnosed with a terminal disease and then he's approached by he's approached by Lloyd Bridges. He's basically like, Hey, um, I know you're you have a terminal disease, but before you die, uh, I wanna offer you like I wanna offer you a lot of money and, and time to travel and buy a bunch of useless shit you don't need and you can go to a beautiful tropical island and um, so you can live out the rest of your days you know in the lap of luxury but I need you to do one thing for me I need you to jump inside of a volcano in order to save the island that that volcano is located on and save all the indigenous people there and Tom Hanks is like "Uh, okay I'll do that because he lives in he works at this horrible company under you know, fluorescent lighting and he's really miserable. <laughs> he's like, sure. He's like, I'm going to die anyways. I might as well like have some fun and, you know, and then I can die in a really cool way. I can jump into a volcano and do it for the, the betterment of, uh, other people that I never met before. That's cool. Um, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much, but like Joe versus, uh, versus volcano is, it's a fun movie. It's funny and it's, all right, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird premise, but it's, it's, it's a sweet film and it's, it's a very, it's a very chill film too. Like if you just want to kick back and watch something that's kind of a feel good movie, but, um, we'll make you chuckle a little bit. Watch Joe versus the volcano. Also Robert Stack is in it. RIP. He played, uh, Tom Hanks, doctor in the movie. If you don't know who Robert Stack is, he was in the movie Airplane and he was the host of the original Unsolved Mysteries. And you know him by his incredible commanding voice. Yes, Joe vs. the Volcano. Uh, Another uh, comedy that I really like is My Blue Heaven, starring Rick Moranis and um, Steve Martin. And they were both in... uh, Whatchamacallit, they were in a little shop of horrors together. And 
basically, and it was actually shot in um, San Luis Obispo, where my ex-girlfriend uh, from back in back in the day, day way back in the day, uh, she was an underage stripper at a strip club in uh, San Luis Obispo. So there you go. Ties right back into my life. The whole six degrees of separation thing. Anyways, My Blue Heaven is about um, this m- mafia gangster dude played by um, Steve Martin, uh, who's like the least mafioso-looking guy of all time. But um, basically, he goes into witness protection, and his like FBI handler is uh, Rick Moranis, who's a very buttoned-down, by-the-book FBI agent, and uh, they put him in... Oh my God! The mo- the, sh- the town wasn't called San Luis Obispo. It was called something. It was called like F- Freeport, or no, 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 no. It was called Freiburg. It was a little town, little beach town, and they they send Steve Martin there, and he's used to like being in New York and having you know, he's used to New York. Let's put it that way. And um, he has and he's got to move into this small town and sort of adjust. And he's you know he's kind of a consummate kind of hustler con artist type of guy and hilarity ensues. <laughs> that's sort of, the, that's sort of the nuts and bolts of, um, Oh, <laughs> of my blue heaven, but it's, but it's funny. And, um, I definitely recommend it. So we have our, our fair share of lighthearted humor now we're going to jump straight into a dystopian sci-fi action with RoboCop 2. I love first RoboCop. It's one of my favorite movies. RoboCop 2 is pretty damn good, too. I mean, what else does this say about RoboCop? You know, uh, an officer dies in the line of duty. This large company, this like corporation that owns the police uh, department in in future dystopian Detroit um, takes a officer that was shot in the line of duty and puts him inside of a machine and turns him into a, an Android basically into a cyborg rather. And um, the company thinks that they completely wiped his human memories, his mind, but there's still remnants of uh the officer, uh, Alex Murphy, there's still parts of him. His humanity is still inside of the remaining, uh, human pieces of, of him. That's RoboCop. <laughs> and he takes down a whole, you know, a whole gang. He exposes the corruption in the company that made him and he saves the day, the end. But RoboCop two is a continuation of that. And, uh, RoboCop is already, who's already established. Mm. I don't know, he kind of got soft a little bit. He ends up uh, facing another kind of gang of uh, drug dealers who, you know, and another giant robot that he needs to fight at the end. <laughs> it's very similar to the first one, actually. It's basically a retreading of the first one, except it's different criminals, a different robot he needs to fight. and um, But it's still a pretty good movie, uh, RoboCop 2. Oh boy, here's a feel-good movie. Um, the film adaptation of a, oh God, a book I read in in elementary school, maybe junior high. Lord, Lord of the Flies. 
bunch of kids get stranded on a fucking island and it becomes a, uh, turns into a tribalistic uh, animal farm murderous society. People get killed. Most people have read fucking Lord of the Flies in school, right? It's kind of like To Kill a Mockingbird or something or Animal Farm or... It just seems like one of those movies that oh, movies, one of those uh, books that everyone read. You know what's fucked up? We read Lord of the Flies in school, and we and then we saw the movie after we read it in class. Then you go home and it's like, oh, what'd you learn in school today? Oh well, um, today we saw a movie where uh, this character named Piggy gets a boulder uh, dropped on his head and his brain splattered all over a beach. That's what I learned in school. Okay. Let's jump ahead to uh, Cat in the Brain, which is a very strange uh, Lucio Fulci movie starring Lucio Fulci. I don't know. That's weird. Has there ever been a movie where the actual director is like a main character in the movie and he directed it. Is that, has it ever been done before? I'm trying to think. I don't know. I can't, well, <laughs> I was going to say Woody Allen, but he's never played himself in a movie that I'm aware of. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Cat in the brain. I mean, there's better Lucio Fulci movies you could be watching, but uh, but this one came out in 1990. <laughs> Most of Lucio Fulci movies, like he's better known for his movies from the eighties. So anyways, um, this next movie, um, I just put it on the menu. Um, why do I keep saying menu? Jesus Christ. I put it on the list just because, just because basically, just because it's, it's sort of known as a, as a, good bad movie but I, I don't think the movie's very good um it's actually pretty bad but it is it is entertaining and i understand why people make documentaries about it and um you know people have midnight movie showings of it and that would be troll 2 and i'll take troll 2 over the room any day like the room sucks i don't know why People love that fucking movie so much, to be honest. I think Troll 2 is a much more tolerable bad movie. Mm, holy shit on a shingle. All right, so this incredibly... Uh, this movie has an incredibly low rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But when has Rotten Tomatoes ever been right about anything? We have... Brain Dead, nineteen ninety. It's amazing that it's amazing. Uh, I, I really wonder how this movie even came together because it's very low. But I mean, eh, it's relatively low budget, and it comes off kind of low budget. But it's basically a monster movie, like the Mad Scientist movie, rather. And you have Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton, and George Kennedy, which was, you know, he, I mean, at that time, I think he would kind of end up 
in anything really. Uh, George Kennedy was in, I don't know, the Naked Gun movies. But 1990, like Bill Pullman already did Spaceballs and Bill Paxton at that point was already in Aliens and Mausoleum. <laughs> uh, mausoleum. No, um, no, we want to talk about Brain Dead. Basically, um, then you have Bill Pullman and Bill Pullman, who's a like, scientist guy working for a, a corporation that uh, Bill Paxton is one of the kind of kind of like slimy fucking corporate guys. And they're, they're studying <clears throat> this whole thing of like, like Bill Pullman's company basically is, I'm sorry, um, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, basically, he runs this company who's there. In a presentation, he's basically like, well, if people can get plastic surgery to change their appearance, why can't we create surgeries that change their minds and their souls? So how about we use the technology that this company has to alter people's minds? And then that's kind of where the, um, and then Bill Pullman's not really with the program. And that's kind of where the movie begins. And it's this whole thing where they eventually want to, you know, uh, it's kind of like people get lobotomy, lobotomized. People basically get lobotomized in this film and they eventually want to, take over Bill Pullman's brain and you know, it has a sci-fi element to it and it's like a almost like a sci-fi mm, it's like a I don't know maybe not sci-fi but it, there's definitely a horror element there there's sort of that medical medical horror is always I like medical horror type things because it's scary. Because <laughs> it's relatable, you know. People can relate to the 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 fear of being in a in a hospital, you know, and never leaving again. Imagine a hospital that wants to use some kind of experimental technology to fuck with your brain. It's very scary. But I like Brain Dead. Um. It's kind of a low budget film, but it's it's good for what it is. And I, you know, I can see this. I can see the exact same movie getting made for like millions of dollars. Like, if I had a choice between watching Vanilla Sky or Brain Dead, I would probably pick Brain Dead. And yeah, sort of that thing. Like you go into like like. Like science finds a way to alter your mind somehow, kind of like uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Total Recall or something. But Brain Dead is like, I think it's kind of in that general area. Anyways, I definitely recommend it, especially if you're like a big Bill Paxton fan. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Mm. That guy was way too young, man.
Okay, then we have Richard Stanley's Hardware. And Hardware, uh, you know, it's dystopian, cyberpunk, end of the world, like wasteland type of thing. Um, Starring Dylan McDermott, Julia Roberts, (laughs) ex-fiance. And Lemmy from Motorhead playing a guy on a boat. Um, Yeah, uh, Hardware, how do I explain Hardware? Um, a bunch of junk scavengers. It, it, it's it's basically the Force Awakens. <laughs> um, a bunch of junk scavengers find a robot that's disassembled in the desert. The this sort of junk scavenger uh, kind of puts the robot back together, and then realizes the robot is a horrific killing machine. And then by the time they actually uh, figure out how to destroy the thing, they find out that the government uh, and the, well, the military has already made a fucking army of these fucking things. So just when you think you can, like, you, you know, you kill this unbeatable machine, there's, there's already a new and improved fucking army of them so imagine like in terminator where it shows judgment like after judgment day it shows shows the future where there's just like um terminators you know the 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 chrome skeletons just fucking firing laser cannons you know over mountains of skulls you know and the, the last remaining humans are still fighting against fucking skynet and shit now picture that now Picture if all of those Terminators were T-1000s. Just liquid metal... <laughs> a liquid metal army of murderous fucking robots. Why didn't anybody think to do that? That sounds way more terrifying than your standard T-800 robot. Just an army of T-1000s. That's like a fucking horrible nightmare. <laughs> That's way more nightmarish than having a bunch of regular Terminators slowly walking after you. But yeah, um, <laughs> I mean that's not exactly what hardware is about, but that's that's the gist of it. And um, I don't know, it's an interesting world, Richard Stanley. I I, I don't know. People are kind of, I think people are kind of split on hardware. Some people think the movie's kind of shitty but i like it i like the world of uh hardware and um uh, richard stanley you may know him as uh the original director of the island of dr moreau with marlon brando there's actually a documentary about um i'm totally forgetting the name of it but if you want to see a, uh, a documentary about a movie that just turned into a fucking horrible nightmare there's a documentary about uh, the making of the Island of Dr. Moreau with uh, Richard Stanley as director. Marlon Brando was in it. Val Kilmer, Feruza Bulk, who you may know as, uh, you know, the goth chick from The Craft. And she was also in American History X. But before, before he did the Island of Dr. Moreau, he did hardware and i do like i do like that if you like a dystopian robots killing people fucking cyberpunk type of 
end of the world thing. Um, you know, Mad Max, shit like that. Yeah, you'll like hardware. Uh, Maniac Cop 2. Um, I like Maniac Cop 1. Maniac Cop 1's awesome. Maniac Cop 2, I think, is arguably the best Maniac Cop. I like 1 a lot. But I think 2 is just like... like it kind of it's kind of like child's play where they sent up they set up the world there's a fucking killer a zombie cop um who's like an unstoppable killer um but they can, they set up the world so that in the second one it's like okay you already know the rules of the world in this fucking fucking killer is still out there. So it's like, you know, you need to set up the world. And I, I think maniac cop did a really good job. And maniac, maniac cop two, I think is, you know, was probably the superior, uh, film of that franchise, but rest in peace, Robert Zadar. And, um, you know, maniac cop had, uh, Bruce Campbell in it from evil dead and, uh, Boba Hotep. And, um, the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> so that's, that's cool. You know, um, okay. Well, up next we have, uh, and I'm going to try to tear through this for you guys. I know this has been running a long time, but I just have to emphasize how awesome this list is. Nightbreed, you know, it's the other movie that Clive Barker did besides Hellraiser that, you know, got him in the, uh, that, you know, gathered a, a cult following. What else? I Come in Peace with Dolph Lundgren. Weird fucking movie. Alien that comes from space that needs to use a fucking, uh, you know, like the um, the Wolverine fucking, like, spike thing that uh, RoboCop uses at the end of uh, RoboCop to fucking kill Red Foreman. Yeah, that thing... Um, the uh the a- the alien in uh, I come in peace has that same thing. He has like the spike that's connected to this wrist gauntlet thing, and it shoots into people's brain. He sucks out their I don't know their their brain fluid because I don't know that's like a drug in his alien world, and he looks like a um, large blonde. Uh, he looks like Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters Two. And then fucking Dolph Lundgren uh, kills him. The end. That's I Come in Peace. <laughs> I don't know. I like I Come in Peace. It was another one of those movies that was just like always on like HBO or something like or Cinemax. And I like Dolph Lundgren. He was in The Punisher. And I liked uh, Dolph Lundgren's uh, you know, 80s Punisher movie quite a bit, actually. I rewatched it um, not too long ago. And it's better than I remember. I'm going to tell you right now, and this is this might be an unpopular opinion, but the uh, was it John Bernthal Punisher TV show on Netflix? I don't know, not a fan. Like to me, that guy is not the Punisher. I just don't, I don't see it. I grew up reading the Punisher comics, and I'll I'll take a Dolph Lundgren Punisher any day of the week. Okay. So tell you what, put it this way. I was at a bar one time and it had two screens, two TV screens in there. And I'm sitting at the bar and on one screen they're playing, 
Oh, God. They're playing Star Wars The Phantom Menace. And on the other screen, they were playing The Punisher TV show. And I decided to watch The Phantom Menace. And I don't even like The Phantom Menace. Okay, so I come in peace. You know, a little, it's got some action, it's got some sci fi. You know, it's maybe not the smartest movie in the world, but, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, it's the right amount of dumb, it's the right amount of, uh, you know, um, alien fucking explosion nonsense that I like. <laughs> Speaking of uh, on-earth alien nonsense, Predator 2. I'm a fan of Predator 2. I like it a lot. Um, I like that it was shot. It's supposed to take place in Los Angeles, but it was shot clearly in the BART station in San Francisco. Predator 2, starring Danny Glover, and again, Bill Paxton. Mm. That trip, Bill Paxton was in Predator 2 and Brain Dead. Two movies with dramatically different different budgets. Um, So yeah, Predator 2, I mean Predator 1, also known as just uh, Predator. Uh, Perfect film, basically. And Predator 2, you know, it's a it's a little I I rewatched it not too long ago and it's actually kind of a big it's kind of got a little bit of campiness, it's kind of goofy is than I remember. But um but I like Predator 2 a lot, you know, and of course Predator 2 sets up the idea of like, oh, the alien from Alien might live in this world and that's, you know, they get on the alien ship for the final battle, and the Predator and um, Danny Glover have their final battle on the alien, on the Predator ship, and uh, they're in the Predator's trophy room, and there's like this wall of skulls from across the universe of you know all these different species of creatures that were um, slayed by <laughs> slain by a fucking Predator, and one of them is an alien. Uh, xenomorph skull and that was supposed to be kind of like 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 a oh hey like an easter egg of like hey what's up alien like you know but uh, people took that as to like oh my god alien and predator in the same universe they must have fought each other at some point there needs to be an alien versus predator movie and then like a decade later whatever it was they finally made alien versus predator and it was a fucking shit show I, I don't count the Alien vs. Predator movies in the um, in the Alien or Predator canon. I just I I can't. My conscience my conscience won't won't allow me to do it. Mm, this next movie is like like really that came out in nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. Frankenhooker, directed by Frank Hennenlauter. I mean. Uh, from uh, Basket Case, well, you know we all love Basket Case, uh, but you know Frankenhooker was quite a bit more of a a a, a goofier, 
a goofier movie than Basket Case, if that's even possible. But yeah, Frankenhooker was yeah, quite a bit more comedy in there, and it's basically a Frankenstein tale, but instead of uh, you know a doctor putting together a uh, bunch of body parts and bringing it back to life, it's a a guy who wants to. <laughs> put his girlfriend back together and bring her back to life. So the guy's dead girlfriend, he wants to bring her back to life. So he <laughs> takes parts from hookers from in New York and um, puts, uh, basically constructs a new girlfriend from those, um, from those parts. And it's kind of like the Bride of Reanimator, actually, <laughs> but it's a, it's quite a bit funnier. It's very much uh, much lower of a budget, but uh, Frank Hannenlotter, his his movies have a lot of um, I don't know they have they have charm, and it has really bad stop motion claymation. Isn't that great? <laughs> Is it claymation? I think it's just stop motion in Basket Case. Anyways. Frankenhooker. It's one of those movies. If you like seeing, if you like seeing like New York back in the day, movies that just depict New York way back in the fucking day, like Frankenhooker is right up your alley. Big thumbs up there. Hmm. Okay. We have Hard to Kill. Oh my God. Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal creeps up again. I mean,. Steven Seagal's kind of career, start, you know, started like petering out in the '90s, but you know, and all of his, all of his gnarliest shit was in the '80s. But fuck, man, I mean, and so far in terms of just like action, just like you know, like a lot of shootouts and people getting thrown through windows and fucking car chases and explosions and shit. Like, 1990 is fucking, like, already has got you covered, homie. Fuck. You got Hard to Kill and RoboCop 2 and fucking Predator 2 and... Mm. Mm -mm -mm. It's a fucking bloodbath. It's great. I mean, I think most people have their mind made up about um, Steven Seagal, but it's like, you know... If you're going to be on fucking Team Skeleton Factory, you have to acknowledge that fucking those early Steven Seagal movies are fucking, uh, you know, they're garbage, but they're amazing garbage. It's it's fucking fantastic. Uh, there's also uh, another fuck. There's so many sequels. Um, we have Gremlins Two. Gremlins One, of course, is classic. It's awesome. Everyone loves it. It's uh, Everyone's favorite Christmas film of all time. And definitely not Die Hard. Uh, Gremlins, Gremlins 2 takes place in a uh, giant, futuristic, uh, technologically advanced uh, skyscraper where everything is basically uh, controlled by Alexa, basically. and But this giant, super smart building gets infected by... Gremlins, and I mean, 
as good as the first Gremlins is, I would say like Gremlins Two might Gremlins Two is definitely like like much more over the top. But I'm I might like Gremlins Two more than Gremlins One. Also, Hulk Hogan is in Gremlins Two. <laughs> Um, has a very small part, but I kind of wish he was in more of the movie. That would that would be great. Um, let's see, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. I really like that movie. Um, like every like Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. Fucking perfect horror movie. It's amazing. It's classic. It's the shit. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two definitely has its audience. And it's got some memorable shit in it, but it's it is like I don't know. I I, I want to say that Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, also known as Leatherface, I I like it more than two. I think the pacing of it is um, is better. Texas Chainsaw Massacre two just um, I mean it's. It's got classic little moments in it, but I, I feel that Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is just a better constructed movie in general. That's my opinion. I mean, I like the first three Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies because after three, it's just like, I don't know. I kind of checked out, <laughs> but I like three. Um Okay, let's see. Ooh, another uh, Oliver Stone movie, um, Born on the Fourth of July. Um, let's see. How do we explain that? Tom Cruise, who I've already talked about earlier, is uh, Tom Cruise is like the prince of movies, and by the prince, I mean like Prince, like Purple Rain. We're gonna party like it's nineteen ninety nine. Prince, Prince made so much fucking music before he died. Most of it you probably haven't heard of, but he did a fucking shitload of albums and they're all consistently good. And that's what Tom Cruise's career is like, you know, or maybe if you're not a Prince fan, maybe, uh, what's, what's another one? Buckethead. Probably guitar players out there. Buckethead, for people who don't know, Buckethead, uh, he's that guy who wears a mask and a KFC bucket on his head, and he's kind of a guitar virtuoso fucking, uh, you know, total shredder guy. And, you know, I don't I don't think there's a ton of guys like that alive or, well, maybe not alive. They're around, but maybe not as, I don't know, as... Yeah, with such a fucking giant body of work like Buckethead, you know what I mean? Like, like maybe like Zach Wild or someone like that, someone who's just been playing forever. But like Buckethead has a like a Takashi Miike number of fucking albums of different styles and shit, and it's that's what Tom Cruise is. Tom Cruise is one of those guys where if. If you had only one actor's uh, body of work that you could watch, like movies that were starring that actor, like the Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise IMDb is pretty fucking solid. That's like, there's a lot of, it's a lot of good shit in there, you know? 
I know he's a Scientologist and people think he's crazy and shit, but I, and you know, you know, I, yeah, he is a Scientologist and he may, he might be crazy, but I don't know. That dude does his fucking own stunts and, you know, and his movies are, you know, of course he, you know, has some bad movies, you know, like the mummy, <laughs> but for the most part, it's like, he's in a lot of really good shit. And Border on the 4th of July is one of them. Like, basically, he's, like, a dude who goes off to Vietnam, gets fucking legs blown off, and then has to come back to the world. And as, um, you know, people calling him a fucking baby killer and spitting on him, and he's, you know, in a wheelchair and dealing with the depression and coming back to the real world and facing the country that he uh, had to fight for. And that's, you know, that's that is some straight up Oliver Stone shit because Oliver Stone, of course, was in Vietnam himself, and you know he directed Platoon and and actually I've had a I've had a Vietnam veteran guy not too long ago I was I was talking to who was just like we started talking about movies and he's like yeah man like the best Vietnam movie ever is Platoon he's like that's about as close as you're gonna get to Vietnam. It's like, oh shit, that's heavy shit. And Platoon's fucking awesome. <laughs> that is some fucking. There's some piss and vinegar in that fucking movie. Um, but yeah, Born on the Fourth of July. It's it's sad. It's like if there was a movie just about. It's like if there was a sequel to Forrest Gump, but it was just about Lieutenant Dan after he came back from Vietnam. <laughs> you know, it's kind of. Oh, it's kind of sad. Um, let's see what else was 1990 dark man and dark man was I, you know, for people who only know Liam Neeson from fucking taken or, um, which I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the taken movies. What other movies has he been in? Bunch of shitty ones. Wasn't he in a thousand ways to die in the West? That movie sucked ass. Um, yeah. Dark Man. It was fucking Liam Neeson playing a superhero. Directed by Sam Raimi. You know? So what, I'm pretty sure Dark Man was directed by Sam Raimi. He did well, he did the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And, of course, he did the Evil Dead and shit. Like, you know, Dark Man. Why not? <clears throat> what else came out then? You're kindergarten Cop. Oh, my God. You have comedy. You have action. You know, you have... That's a weird movie. I like Kindergarten Cup. I like the idea of, like, this... fucking... kick-ass fucking cop... who has to go undercover as a kindergarten teacher. Because he has to find a kid. Um, He knows one of these kids is the son of this fucking criminal he's trying to track down. And he has to figure out which one, the ki- which kid it is. And <clears throat> it's silly to think about now, but I saw a kindergarten cop in fucking feeders, you know? It's fucking Arnold. I mean, that dude was just untouchable for so long. Now he's just like a crazy old man. Oh, Arnold, if only we can go back to the kindergarten cop days. Oh, Oh, bless his heart. Um, Oh, my God. We got two more fucking sequels. Child's Play 2 and 
Die Hard 2, 1990. That's when they both came out. Uh, Die Hard 2 was I. Die Hard 2 was like, um, Die Hard on a plane. <laughs> and then a million fucking like action films on planes came to be. Like, uh, I don't know. Terminal Velocity, wasn't that in a fucking airplane? Passenger 57, always been on black. That was a thing. And then Child's Play 2, which I think is, you know, as good as Child's Play 1, if not better. Everyone knows the Chucky movies, for God's sakes. Any pedestrian walking into a spirit Halloween store knows fucking Chucky. Okay, I shouldn't have to explain that to you. King of New York, oh my. Our our friend Abel Ferrara, director Abel Ferrara film. About fucking... Christopher Walken. King of New York. You got Christopher Walken coming out of prison. And uh, let's see, Lawrence Fishburne is in it. And um, basically, uh, Christopher Walken comes out of prison. And, you know, he's like he's like a former drug lord. And, you know, he's trying to regain his fucking kingdom once he comes back uh, to New York. But, mm. Uh, the world that he left behind is was not the same after he came out of prison. And you, you'll see, we have also David Caruso is in it. Oh my God, Wesley Snipes pops up again. I like King of New York. It's, you know, kind of Christopher Walken at his most Christopher Walkeniness. You know, when people do an impression of Christopher Walken, I, it's like, I feel like they're doing like King of New York era. And maybe even true romance, Christopher Walken. That's like the that's the impression they're doing. <laughs> Unless they're doing the Joe Dirt impression, which is incredibly funny. Where he talks of uh, the impression is basically threatening somebody by stabbing him in the face with a soldering iron, which is a great a great line in a bad movie. But yeah, uh, King of New York. If you're if you haven't watched any Abel Ferrara movies, uh, I mean, he did Bad Lieutenant, uh, Driller Killer. He did this movie about uh, Pasolini I really want to see because, uh, you know, he moved to Italy. So, giant passion project of his. And he did a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like, Abel Ferrara does some pretty good shit. He did a bunch of episodes of Miami Vice as well. So, you know, he did TV and movies. So, that's that's cool. Let's see what else we have. Uh, Tremors, everybody, everybody's favorite, uh, everybody's favorite uh, Kevin Bacon movie where he's not raping people. Tremors about um, underground lizards. Uh, well, they're not lizards; they're like giant uh, insect-like alien worms, like in Beetlejuice, that um, can hear you. They can feel your vibrations, and if they if they do, they'll they'll travel under the ground like Bugs Bunny and fucking eat you. Tremors, man. They have like what, five, six movies? That's I mean, that's a that's a fucking franchise. Tremors, my God. It is a pretty good movie though. Um Oh my god, now we're getting into like some heavy duty shit now. So we have Oh my God, we have Edward Scissorhands, Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. So this is like the era of Tim Burton I grew up with, and shit was so good. He had Edward Scissorhands, he had Beetlejuice, he had Pee-wee's Big Adventure. 
Edward, like, fuck. And Edward Simpsonhand was good. Yeah, it was weird, and that's what we liked about Tim Burton. He just had movies about weirdo outsiders trying to exist, you know, in a world that doesn't understand him. What else do we have? Ooh, we have uh, the remake of George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, and the 1990 remake was directed by... Uh, Legendary, famous makeup artist, special effects innovator, Tom Savini. And the remake is pretty damn good. If you like Night of the Living Dead, if you like Return of the Living Dead, if you like zombie movies in general, like watch the remake of Night of the Living Dead. It's very good. It's very entertaining. And it's, you know, it's it's very similar to the original. It's not a, you know, exact remake, but it's close enough but it's it's difference enough to be very entertaining mm. what else oh my god we have total recall arnold schwarzenegger strikes again fuck imagine that kindergarten cop total recall in the same time period total recall of course a um adaptation of philip k philip k dick's Short story called We Remember It For You Wholesale. I believe that's the title. Fucking Philip K. Dick. He's one of those authors, man. Like, I know he was, like, kind of a kook and shit, but that fucking guy was really good at, like, predicting what the future would be like in terms of, like, technology and kind of social shit. Like, that dude was way ahead of his time. Rest in peace, Philip K. Dick. Mm. Three people don't know who Philip K. Dick is. He wrote the book that ended up becoming um, Blade Runner um, called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And he also wrote, um, if, if you've seen the show um, Man in the High Castle, I haven't watched it, but I hear it's fucking great. Uh, Man in the High Castle was a Philip K. Dick book, and it's like one of his most like kind of award-winning of his, you know, his most, probably his most acclaimed book he ever wrote. Okay. Yeah, Total Recall, good shit, man. Arnold, Sharon Stone. <laughs> oh my God, Michael Ironsides. I love. Those are the type of actors I really like. Guys like like grizzled, tough guys in movies. Like I like grizzled, scary, tough guys who can act. And Michael Ironsides was one of those guys. You know, he was in Starship Troopers, and he was in uh, Visiting Hours. It's another weird horror movie from the '80s where Michael Ironsides plays this. He, like, tries to home invade this woman's house and kill her, but uh, she ended up getting rescued and going to a hospital, and then he ends up going to the hospital to finish the job to go kill her. It's basically Halloween 2, but um, fucking Michael Ironside is such a fucking creep. I love it. Um, he's also in Scanners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Let's move it right along here. Oh Lord, yeah, we're coming down, coming down to the to the end here. All right, uh, 
the last three films I'm going to mention are fucking just perfect films, essentially. We have um, Goodfellas. Goodfellas is probably one of my favorite mobster movies of all time. Like, if it was top three, it'd probably be something like... Probably Godfather, Godfather 2, and... uh, and probably Goodfellas, you know? I don't know. It might be Godfather 2 Casino, then Goodfellas. Cause I don't know. It's just Casino I've, I saw so many goddamn times growing up. It kind of holds a soft spot in my heart. But even though Godfather and Godfather 2 are so fucking amazing. But Goodfellas, I think, for just pure entertainment value, like, like all those movies have, like, were crafted beautifully. Like, they're very, very good movies the acting the story everything like but in terms of like a rewatchable package that i can just fucking watch whenever fucking goodfellas that's my shit fucking de niro joe pesci ray liotta god damn it goodfellas is like a perfect movie um speaking of perfect movie misery stephen king It's one of the few Stephen King uh, books I actually completely read. I read Misery, and I read Pet Cemetery. I tried to read Insomnia. Um, I read most of the Richard Bachman books. Um, Did I read any other Stephen King books? No, I think Misery and... Pet Cemetery are the only two I ever read. Um, but yeah, uh, Misery, the movie, Kathy Bates, James Caan. Like, I wouldn't say it's my favorite horror movie. It's probably not my favorite movie, but it's a perfect movie. Like, that movie is so. Like, like there's not an ounce of fucking fat on that movie. Um, and it's so good from beginning to end, the stories and like, it's actually scary. Like there's a lot, most horror movies, even the really extreme ones, like I wouldn't say are scary. I'd say some things are like, you know, like, Ooh, that's a little disturbing. Or, you know, maybe there's something with a jump scare where I was like, Oh, I was actually kind of startled right there. Maybe something's creepy or maybe there's like a body horror type movie where I'm like, ooh, that kind of made my skin crawl a little bit. But I wouldn't say I was like like fearful. But misery is like that's a scenario where there's enough there's enough space in that movie where you just can you have time to kind of sit there and just sort of think about what's going on and you're like it's like that's that's terrifying. Be held against your will. You know, your body is in a diminished compromised state and there's being held captive and you can't call for help no one knows where you are you know and you're basically at the whim of a crazy person you know cool. <laughs> it's it's oh god it's, it's like torture right like that's that's the there were there was there was a show called um most evil and most evil was basically about this doctor guy he was like a psychologist or of some kind and some sort of, uh, 
he studied criminals basically and those and he basically developed a scale to measure evil and the scale was from 1 to 21 if i remember correctly it's 1 to 21 and in basically every episode he would talk about a different serial killer or or murderer mass murderer and basically put to them inside of his scale of evil now uh like if you were a you know cuz some people when they kill it's for like monetary reasons like they like they want to kill their husband because they want to inherit a bunch of money you know what i mean or but the worst of the worst, like the most evil is like if you're a 21, if you're ranked to 21, that means you're like a torture killer. That means extended periods of time where you hold a person captive, you have complete control over them and you mentally and physically torture them and then ultimately kill them. That's like the most evil. And that's kind of what misery is. Um, I love Misery. That's a fucking really good movie. Um, and I think we're going to wrap it up here with one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's It's got one of the scariest jump scares of all time. It, it has things in it that are really disturbing. They infer a lot of things. They don't show a lot of of the horror and the gruesomeness and it's, it's, it's more of like other characters describing the aftermath of horrific murders. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where they, you, you don't see much, you don't see much horror and gore and things like that, but it's, it's still terrifying. Like the mood of that movie is like, it's, it's scary and it keeps you on edge and you're totally, it's, and that would be, uh, the exorcist three. The exorcist three is one of the greatest sequels, uh, in horror. Definitely. Exorcist one is fucking odd. The original exorcist, amazing, awesome fucking movie. Um, exorcist two is like, weird and whatever, but the exorcist three is fucking awesome. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And, um, I could not recommend it more, especially during Halloween time. Like it's still October right now. People, if you haven't, you may have already seen the exorcist. You may be sitting around with people. and like, Oh, what are, what are some horror movies that we can watch? You know, people are going to watch Halloween. People might watch a Freddy movie or a Jason movie. You know, but, and you may watch The Exorcist, but The Exorcist 3 is absolutely fantastic. It's it's very much like, if you like the movie 7 that came out a few years after this, I don't know if it's influenced by it or not, but if you like the movie 7, you're, you'll really like The Exorcist 3. It's kind of similar. It's, it's definitely like a detective story. Uh, George C. Scott... Um, plays Bill Kinderman, who was a character in the first Exorcist movie, but it's played by, but that was played by a different guy. But the character Bill Kinderman is is in this film, and it's from his perspective. And uh, a killer, 
he's investigating a, a serial killer who has especially gruesome, a gruesome, um, like, uh, his MO is basically matches a serial killer, um, that was caught and executed years ago. And they can't figure out how whoever's doing these murders, how they're able to kill exactly like, um, this convicted and executed serial killer called the Gemini killer. Um, so this new, this new round of, um, murders, um, they can't figure out how they're done. And, um, and yeah, George C. Scott needs to find out who this fucking killer is. And, it's amazing. <laughs> like, I can't say enough about fucking The Exorcist 3. And I don't really want to spoil it, because I I, um, I I, want people to just experience it, like, that first time experiencing it. And it it truly has one of the scariest moments um, in horror films. And I love horror films. And, again, I most horror films don't fucking scare me, but there there's... There's some scary shit in The Exorcist, and there's some funny stuff in The Exorcist. The the dialogue in the movie is very good, and at oftentimes uh, very horrifying, and sometimes very funny. So, I'm gonna wrap it up right now. So that was that was 1990, and I'm losing my voice right now. 1990 is the number one best year for movies in the decade of the 1990s. So, if you listen this far, my God, I salute you. So far, so far we have come together. Thank you for listening. And um, I'm going to take a break for a couple of days and I will see you guys on the next one. And remember, um, to kill everyone now, condone first-degree murder, Advocate cannibalism and eat shit because filth are my politics and filth is my life. This has been the Skeleton Factory Podcast. This is Adam. I'll see you guys around the bend. Good night.